Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Here we go with the sports animals on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. It is Columbus Day, but, uh, well, it used to be called Columbus Day. Um, but then we found out the, what, what a horrible person Christopher Columbus was, and uh, now we celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day or Native American Day. So uh, that's what today is. So happy Indigenous People Day. It's not Discoverers Day anymore? I, uh, is it still, some people call it with Discoverer's Day, I guess. Is it Discoverer's Day the same as Columbus Day? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, happy, uh, if you got the day <laughs> off, congratulations. <laughs> if you work at a bank, good job. If not, yeah. <laughs> if you work at a bank or school, I'm, I'm guessing schools are out today. I know banks are. I know it's a federal holiday, but somehow not in every state. Right, because some state it's only like 19 states don't celebrate it or something like that. But anyway, let's start the show. Top headlines we're following. Here's one uh, particularly interesting. The New York Mets crash and burn. Wow. New York Mets, 101 wins, all for nothing. You spend was, uh, all that money on a couple of pitchers, and you get Buck Showalter to come in, and what do you got to show for it? Absolutely nothing. Chris, as I've told you many weeks in a row, we should start with some local headlines. Let's not talk baseball. Uh, I told people yesterday that I knew my friend yesterday. Chris Hart. When was yesterday? I told every, a few people yesterday that my friend Chris Hart will definitely bring it up early in the show. I'm hoping he won't, but it didn't take long for you hey, to remind if it, me. If it wasn't for Columbus Day, it, it, it would have been the first thing out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. It was awful. It was awful. One hit. One hit. Are you kidding me? One yeah. hit yeah. in an elimination game at home. Yep. Oh. It hurts. Did you cry a little? I, a little I, I got goosebumps, and I, I, I um, you got I, goosebumps. I just felt so you were excited. You got goosebumps. I, it just hurt. That was the reaction I had when I realized they were going to lose. And it, it, it's been a while since I've hurt like that. I know you enjoy this. It hurts yeah, in the playoffs. Pit, you could be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Yeah, I guess so. It hurts more when you're that close and you're in the playoffs and not even making it in. Kind of like UH football being that close, but uh, it was a little rough day. I, I thought it was going to happen because they just haven't played well in this series, and yeah, it, it, it's a, it was a bad day. All right, we'll keep bringing that up. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you will. Uh, the Rainbow Wahine volleyball uh, team cruises to victory, although uh, they had a tough time against UCSD, but they come away now with seven wins in a row. Way to go, Rainbow Wahine. Yeah, they are undefeated in conference, and the fact that Santa Barbara lost to Long Beach State on Friday, now they are the only unbeaten team and in first place by themselves. Still rather early with a 20-match season, but you do control your destiny, and that's a good way to have it. You know, I was watch, um, I was 
thinking because the first game, I, I'm off a couple of points here. I'm just going off the top of my head. The first game, Hawaii against San Diego, UC San Diego, they they win like 27 to 25, 28, 27, 25. The next game was like 30 to 28. And um, and then they went on to, then they lose the third game, which I thought was going to be the same way. I mean, Hawaii trailed the whole time, then finally caught up with, you know, with when it was like 23 to 22 in those first two games. And then I thought it was going to be the same way for the third game, but then the uh, um, the um, the Tritons, the Lady Tritons, ended up winning. And I thought, oh, no, this might go to five. I mean, there was a player on their team. We just could not stop her. Uh, Ava McInnes. Ava McInnes. Wow, 22 kills against Hawaii. She could do no wrong. It was so it's like, you know, when they come out, they come out of the rotation and they run off to the bench. It was like every time she did, I'm like, oh, my gosh, good. Get her out of there. Okay, let's score. <laughs> let's score. She comes back in. I mean, just offensively. I mean, she wasn't like, you know, she wasn't – she looked like she was probably as, as tall as uh, Amber Igedi, but, you know, she didn't have the muscles that Amber does. I mean, Amber is just – she's – she is head and shoulders. It's like a men – when you say when you in a guy's sport, you say a men amongst boys. That's what Amber Igedi looks like out there. She is just bigger and stronger and more athletic, it seems, than everybody else on the court. Anyway, good uh, for the Rainbow Wahine, but it was close. And um, our libero, our uh, the person who plays the Liberace position, Ikeda, Ikenaga, yeah. Ikenaga, Ikenaga. Ikenaga. She got hurt with like a minute before the match started. So they had to throw somebody else in. They had um, Talia Edmonds. Yes, and she was great. She, I thought she played great. But uh, anyway, it was it was that was that was a, that was a fun to, that was fun to watch. Yeah, you know, I was listening to after the fans' voice on for football. I was listening to Tiff Wells on the broadcast when he mentioned about Taylor. This was right before the match started. I said right before the national anthem. Yeah, it was about sure a minute before it was. started. And that was that was really hard to hear. I guess you know reading the uh, the article in the paper afterwards where she was on the bench later on with her knee, with her leg propped up. So hopefully it's nothing serious. But uh, that that was hard to hear at the beginning that she was going to be out, and hopefully it's not long term. But they were obviously able to persevere and uh, get another W. All right, and the uh, Carolina Panthers did what the New York Mets should uh, be doing this week. They <laughs> fired their coach. The, the, the Carolina Matt Rule out after going one and four this year. They just don't have a great roster, it seems, and they don't have the right quarterback. But we heard rumors for so long that he might not last till much after the season i didn't expect him to get fired now but i guess it's the right move if you're not going anywhere maybe try to get a few wins salvage a little bit of the season and start that search for a new coach already right so does that mean so now all of a sudden when you get a new coach that means your quarterback is going to play better i don't know the guy's been handed a raw deal i don't i'm not sure how great an organization the carolina the carolina panthers are he's he went 11 and uh, 27 in three seasons and um Gosh, he has four years left on his contract. It was a seven-year, sixty-two million-dollar contract. So he'll probably get a couple of bucks. You know. Nice parting gift. Yeah, he'll get any, he'll get the home game version. But I remember <laughs> when he was hired, and he gave his first speech to the was it the media or just everybody, the team, whatever it was, and people were blown away. What a it was like watching a, a, a watching a preacher in the zone, right? 
it was like um, it was like uh, if you were a if you're a religious person, it would be a preacher uh, who's um, you know speaking through the Holy Spirit. They say right. <laughs> so this is like a guy that was just in a zone. People were like, "Wow, what a mo- great motivator this guy's going to be." Well, it didn't even last actually three years, but. Um, um, maybe he'll go back to the college game. Who knows? With There's the money he's going to get, he, he doesn't really have to do anything. There's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of rumors that he could be back at a school, let's say like Nebraska, Georgia Tech, oh. uh, a couple of other schools that he's been rumored toward. Because people could see this coming. I don't know if they thought it would happen this soon, but I think people thought he would be available for any college or pro team next year. And college seems more fitting for him. I would have liked to seen how he would have done if they actually got some talent on that team. I mean, he went 11-27. and 27. How many of those games did Christian McCaffrey actually play in, right? Right. He you know? missed so much in the last two years, not as much this year. But you're right. I mean, if you have a, a healthy Christian McCaffrey, probably a little different. And they never really had a great quarterback. They had Sam right. Darnold last year, and we know how that worked out. And Cam right. Newton for a little while. Yeah, Cam Newton way past his prime. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you had Cam Newton, who was horrible. You got Sam Darnold, who completed more passes to the other team than his own. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, you got Baker Mayfield this year, who's, you know, not the guy you thought the, he was. They probably wish they would have gone after Jimmy Garoppolo now. They oh, had a sure. chance. They had a chance of the summer in the preseason, I mean, in the and, offseason, yeah. and like a and few Jimmy, other teams. Jimmy and they went Baker. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo's like, whoo, I almost landed on the Carolina Panthers. Maybe right. a Carolina Panthers will take Trey Lance. Who knows? But. Uh, <laughs> Well, the 49ers, they did get a lot of injuries. They lost uh, a number of uh, defensive players, I believe. Bosa's one of them. Right. Uh, Nick or Joey, whoever, whichever Bosa plays for the 49ers. Both Bosa's are out, though. Nick and Joey are both injured. <laughs> What's up? What's up with the Bosa family? They They're like the Watt family. Prone, right? Well, no. Well. Yeah, they both been injured Nick quite Bosa? a bit. Wait, which one played? Joey Bosa plays for the Chargers. Yes. So, they but Nick Bosa has been awesome. But, yeah, yeah. he's been – the last couple of years he's been injured. Last couple. Um, but, anyway, uh, yeah, so the Par- Carolina Panthers looking for a new coach. Steve right. Wilkes will be their interim coach right now, the defensive guy. And, uh, well, I mean, he's had – 30 a, so, seconds from now, everyone's going to forget that name. Yeah, okay. Who, who's Steve Wilkes? <laughs> he used what to be with doing? Arizona, and he was, I believe, their, one of their defensive assistant coaches. He's going to be the interim head coach at least. For the rest of the season, I don't know what he'll do. And that's, you know, I mean, you're not feeling bad for Matt Rule knowing he's getting a ton of money, but as you said, kind of a raw deal. You had Christian McCaffrey when they when he got there, their defense was still good. You know, they were kind of a playoff team four or five years ago, but not well, the last def- two years. Their defense isn't bad. They don't have a horrible defense, but it's hard to play when you're always out on the field. Yeah, I, they're just they're just awful right now. Their offense is almost yeah. non-existent. So all right. And uh, speaking of an offense that's starting to pick it up, the University of Hawaii football comes up short against San Diego State. That was uh, that was that was the first half was kind of boring. Second half, as they say in uh, sports talk radio, that was fun to watch. <laughs> that was fun to watch. Those guys don't give up. It was a game where, remember, Hawaii was getting 23 points. So even though the first half was kind of boring, as you said, the fact that they were in it, I think, was em- encouraging at least, down only 3 nothing, And the offense definitely looked better. The defense, with what they did against New Mexico State two weeks ago, or didn't do, 
really turned around. San Diego State, as we mentioned last week, averaging 192 yards a game. Uh, Bird, their running back, was the real deal. Jordan Bird, he got held in check. They only averaged 2.7 yards on a carry with 95 yards total. They didn't do that well in the passing game with a makeshift quarterback, so to speak, who looked really oh, good. That guy but, looked anything but makeshift. Boy, I know. He well, like, he hasn't put a pass looked, in four years. You know what? I'm, I was going, wow, I wish we had that guy. Yeah. I, I mean, that guy, that guy practiced a quarterback for a week. And look at that ball. Look at the touch he had on some of those passes. My gosh. I so, mean, the, when you see the long throws that Braden Shager missed, and, uh, you know, you watch some of the throws where that guy looked like Joe Montana. That guy looked like Tua Tungavailoa. Not because he was left-handed, because he could just, I mean, the ball just right over coverage, landing softly yeah. into the receiver's hands. I mean, you couldn't place some of those balls any better. I mean, somebody had texted in that, you know, their safety was a better quarterback than our quarterback. And, uh, well, stop that. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm not putting Braden Shaker down. He's learning a new offense on the fly. I mean, how do you run? It's like, okay, you got, okay, we're going to the run and shoot. Switch everything you've ever learned on football, and here, here, we, go, and here we go. Yeah, I mean, that's tough. It's tough. Oh, yeah. Because and a lot of those passes where nobody, that Shaker's passes landed, you know, thankfully – um, you know, they floated harmlessly to the ground were that was on Shager because he would come off and you saw uh, Coach Timmy would be like in his face. I mean, Coach, he was fired up for that game, man. He wanted that game. That's why I feel so bad is just so you come off and you lose. You were in it. You were in it until what was it? Uh, 44 seconds, left, whatever it was, was seconds left in the game. Seven. You were still in it. We're yeah. still in it. That's what they scored. You know, I'll tell you this. That, to me, that was their best game of the year. In a loss, that was better than the Duquesne win. I think, again, when you look at everything combined, it was their best game. The offense was good against New Mexico State, if you want to look at it that way. But I think better, even though they put up less oh, points. I just think that was, was their best better. performance. I just it think was way overall, better in this game. The offense yeah. was way better in this game. Than, That's what I'm saying. Against, yeah, I think it was their best game of the year. And the fact that even this game Even though we scored hurt, less points? Yeah, than, New Mexico, than we did against New Mexico State. So I, I think that the, the fact that this hurt, I'll compare it to the, what you said about the Mets earlier, the fact that you were in this game and it hurt, to me the New Mexico State game was kind of embarrassing. This game hurt because you were so close against a team that usually has success against Hawaii. It's always a tough road trip, even though it's in a new stadium. And the fact that they're missing their quarterback, some people might bring up, but it's still a good team that was really held in check. A better team than Hawaii, maybe not a good year, as good of a year for San Diego State as they're accustomed to. This was impressive for Hawaii. It was more encouraging, and I'm not looking at a moral victory. I know you can say there are positives. I, guess, I think that gets old after a while. But this was encouraging, the fact that they've showed improvement on both sides of the ball. So that's what yeah. I took out of this game. Well, I think there was maybe improvements also by the coaches. I mean, um, look at how the defense played. That was a different defense. Yeah. That wasn't the defense we played against New Mexico State. Not against the run. Didn't it was you, really much improved. Didn't you, didn't you recognize watching that? My gosh. All this time, all these years, we hear of this attacking-style defense. That's what we saw for the first time in years. In years. An attacking style defense, and you know when Hawaii gives up those, you know they started throwing the ball, moving the ball uh, through the air. Do you know why in the second half? Because Hawaii was playing an attacking style defense. Hawaii was playing man to man in the back, and so as every guy for themselves, 
So because we were rushing, we were blitzing. We were running five guys, six guys at a time. Panay Pavihi, delayed blitz. I mean, the stuff was awesome. That was so awesome to watch. That's what I. That's my takeaway from this whole game is that, number one, Timmy Chang is fired up, and he is not your friend on the sideline, and he oh. is not of anybody. He is out there to win. Timmy Chang is – that was a different Timmy Chang we saw on that sideline. And um, I didn't see Jacob Yoro on the sideline, but, boy, that defense played like Hawaii used to play defense. Am I the only one seeing this? My oh. God, it, it was so – unbelievable to watch what we were trying to do oh it was great to watch i mean remember san diego state is the 33rd best rushing team in the country and as you said we held them to 95 yards even their coach was like yeah we had to abandon the run we couldn't run against this team yeah i'm so proud i am so proud so proud to be a hawaii fan The, the way they adjusted from the new mexico state game they did make the adjustments and they did play so much better on defense even though the passing yards were a little too high but they wanted to stop the run and they did they really made a concerted effort for that and they were so much better overall on defense when did they make an adjustment what are you talking about between the new mexico state game and just oh. saturday's game as far as you know letting up all those yards 206 in one quarter i don't know if that's an adjustment you threw me off that's just changing your game plan adjustments are something you make during the game itself okay well but but hawaii i mean you know what i was i was stoked i mean i was i uh dvr'd the game and was watching it just yesterday and it was <laughs> it was you know um there were some mistakes you know uh peter manuma had a few mistakes there was a really bad holding call. I, it was on uh, Bernal Went or somebody. Yeah, I like heard the horrible. guys on radio saying there was no way that was holding. Yeah, there was. It, I, I watched it a lot when I was watching DVR. I'm like, all he did was push the guy down, and it was. He kind of threw him down, but it wasn't. I don't know. Most times you wouldn't call that a hold, but that was at a key time too, in that yes. game. Yes, fourth quarter. But, um, yeah, uh, Tanner uh, texted us. Even though he has a microphone in front of him, you see, it's these uh, Generation Z guys. <laughs> they don't really use microphones or telephones. They just text everything. <laughs> Tanner, what were you texting? Let's make him talk. Well, first of all, I just didn't want to interrupt your guys' conversation. And I was trying to give it to you guys so that you guys could use it to make you guys sound a lot smarter. Oh, really to claim smart. your information as our own. Yeah, I'm trying to make you guys look good. But oh, I appreciate, you. I appreciate okay. you guys trying yeah, to make me look good, too. It, it, it's much. It's a lost cause. It's we're much. <laughs> hey, anything we're I can do. That. Anything yeah. I can do. But what yeah, I was pre- trying to. What I was trying to the, appreciate the effort. No problem. And then what I was trying to say was a lot of people forget because they keep hearing Jalen Maiden from San Diego State converted safety. He's a converted safety. Yeah. I, know. I mean, like, that's all the CBS Sports people pretty much talked about all game. OMG, this dude yes. played quarterback all the way up until this season, and. As a quarterback coming out of high school, he was the number two dual-threat quarterback coming out of Texas in 2018 when he committed to Mississippi State. So this dude knows how to play quarterback. I wasn't surprised with how well he did because it's not like he played safety and quarterback and then a lot of safety and then was asked, hey, you played quarterback in high school. You can, uh, you can, Uh can step in here. He played last year in the Mountain West Championship game in the final quarter of the game, I believe, for San Diego State. So oh, I did not know. Jalen Maiden is a quarterback who was converted yeah. to safety for five games. All right. Thank you, Tanner. The, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking leading up to the game, oh, 
I wonder who the quarterback's going to be. Hope it's the guy who was the safety. That's the whole thing I was thinking to myself. Hope it's the, the, the guy, the, the safety. We get to play against that guy. <laughs> Careful what you wish for, huh? All right, it's the Sports Animals here on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, Major League Baseball, let's talk about the Mighty Mighty Mariners. That's coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu. <laughs> Ryan Fagan from the Sporting News on Major League Baseball coming up. Lots more Hawaii football, volleyball. Oh, the uh, Rainbow Wahine soccer team dropped one uh, yesterday. That was unfortunate. But, hey, come uh, that was Wait, that was it here or on the road? I can't remember. That was here. on the road at San Diego, UC San Diego. So they split one. Yeah. Which is, what you were, which, which is what you were hoping for. Yeah. I was hoping for two victories. You were hoping for a split. <laughs> Just, you know, uh, difference in personalities, I well, guess. Well, I, what I said was is that you try to split on the road. I was hoping to get four points on the you road. You don't try to win on the road? You, you well, of course split? you want to win. You play to win the games. Hello. Hello. <laughs> All right, let's get into uh, Major League Baseball. we got a guest ah. coming up. Let's talk about the New York Mets. What does it feel like for a New York Mets fan? You spend 175 days in first place. you got a billionaire owner that goes out and buys you the best talent money can buy. And uh, you win 101 games. Yeah, the Mets are back. This is 1969. This is 1986. No, <laughs> it's more like every other year. The Mets lose. The Mets lose. The Mets lose. At least they made the playoffs, something they haven't done in, I think, seven years. So I'll give them that. It was a choke job. That was, a, I will that say was an that. expensive run to the playoffs, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, but making the playoffs is a goal. Uh, winning in the playoffs is more of a priority as far as that goal is concerned as well, and they didn't do that. They stunk it up this week. They did get that one win. Scherzer wasn't great on Friday. One hit yesterday, and it, 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 it hurt. It hurt. San Diego's a good team who didn't finish strong, so I was a little it surprised. Well, they got good starting pitching. Yeah, it hurts when they lose in the playoffs. So it happens hurts. to fans. It hurts? Yeah. <laughs> I heard after the UH football loss on Saturday, and I heard yesterday when a season ends in the playoffs. If you lose in a regular season, don't make the playoffs. It's, it is what it is. But when all it's right, in the, let's talk about the game as a grown-up now. So, what did you see in those playoff losses? It hurt. Uh, I think <laughs> <laughs> again yesterday the big key was Joe Musgrove it was unbelievable. One hit led up in seven innings. The Mets only had a, I think a walk and a one hit by Alonzo, and that's it. So the pitching did him in. And, you know, they let up early runs on Friday and Sunday, and they just couldn't overcome that deficit. Hugh Darvish was really good. Blake Snell was not bad on Saturday, even oh. though the Mets got to him in the seventh inning. The uh -huh. offense basically disappeared. Alonzo and Lindor were almost MIA. They both had a homer on Saturday, but in Friday and Sunday, games one and three, the bats were just dead. They just couldn't do a thing. So give the Padres some credit. Well, give them all the credit. They well, beat the first-place team. Padres they beat the first-place team. Well, I'm sorry. They were, tied they were in first, first place. Yeah. And they were in first place for most of the season. Yeah. And that's the Padres what hurts come too. out there. The injury-riddled San Diego Padres come out and beat the mighty Mets? Well, wow. What injuries? You had wow. Machado. You had Juan Soto. You didn't have uh, Tatis. 
Oh, I think that's a pretty that's pretty big, not having uh, Fernando Tatis. Yeah, but they don't have them uh, all year. How do the Mets not even score a run? How do they not even get more than one hit? Jeez. Wow. That's Chris, what happened to the Steelers against Buffalo and the Jets the last two weeks? That's embarrassing. It, We're it, talking it, baseball it, right now. Try okay. to stay on topic. And other news, uh, <laughs> and, uh, the, the Mighty Mighty Mariners beat the Blue Jays. It was, what did they win, the first game one to nothing or something? I have to look up the first game. Yeah, it was, it was anyway. It was a total opposite. The next game, yeah. they're down eight to one. They come from behind and win ten to nine. That's what baseball fans are talking about today. The no name Mariners. That was fantastic. I, I couldn't believe they were going to come back on Saturday. Uh, I'm sorry, down you were like cutting that. out. What did you say? I said the Mariners got lucky in that game. <laughs> four runs in the sixth, four runs in the eighth, and they get a run in the Woo! ninth. Kevin Gausman, the starter for Toronto, had a great start on Saturday. They take him out, and then the bullpen just couldn't do anything for Toronto. Give Seattle credit. When you went on the road in the playoffs, it was sold out in Toronto, and they, they looked really good. I mean, they're a young team with not a lot of stars. Rodriguez is their best player. Uh, they got um, Castillo, the pitcher from the Reds at the trade deadline, Luis Castillo, and he went uh-huh. really well. I, I don't know what they're going to do against Houston, but I, I like their story. I know you're a Seattle fan, and that oh. that was that was impressive. I that did, was I impressive. Did, yeah, I like them a little. Come on. <laughs> hey, how about the Phillies beating the Cardinals? The uh, the Phillies, who are a wild card team, and they were like the – were they the last team yes. to get into the playoffs? Yeah, they were the sixth seed. Wow, think of the road that the Phillies have had. And the road the Mets have had. Wow. Complete opposites, <laughs> huh? Uh, in, in a way, yes. It and hurts. you look at in this wild card it round, hurts. three of the four road teams won their series. Uh, Seattle, San Diego, and Philadelphia. I mean, it was Harper's home run that got the first one. It was a 2 nothing shutout. St. Louis, their bats kind of fell silent, too. And three runs in the first game, zero in the second. And that's what happens in a short series. That's why at least it's better than a one-game series. In yeah. three three games, I mean, look at the starting pitching from these teams. Uh, and Philadelphia did a really good job. I mean, on the road with Harper, who's been injury-ridden all year long. He had that home run that set the tone. It's a giant shot. And the Phillies got the Braves now. And, you know, it's, I, I, I look back for the Mets just real quick. If they would have beaten Atlanta just once last weekend, they would have gotten the bye and played Philly. They had a little bit tougher road. But uh, that's what the playoffs are all about. It doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. Phillies played well. Seattle played well. Uh, Cleveland, who we don't really talk about, they got the Yankees. Now, there should be some good series. But, yeah, the hurt will be there every time you mention the Mets for the next seven months, knowing you. Oh, can you play a little Kalapana coming up next year, Tanner? I was waiting to hear from Riley Wallace, but, you know, his Cardinals lost too, so he can't really say much to me. All right, Ryan Fagan from the Sporting News to uh, break down and talk more about the hurt. (laughs) Coming up on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. If you're looking for a good place for some cow-cow on the west side, go on down to DB Grill in Kapolei. Uh, They got great local grinds with kind of an Asian twist. You can try their kimchi fries, ginger pork, lopchong fried rice, calamari katsu and so so much more and remember they've got handcrafted soju carafes and beer buckets too open daily for lunch and dinner visit dbgrillhi.com or follow them on social media at dbgrillhi 
Major League Baseball will take the day off. The AL Championship Series and the NL or Division Series will start tomorrow. And got a lot of interesting matchups. We're going to get into it now as we are joined here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. He's a senior MLB writer with the Sporting News. Back with us, Ryan Fagan. Ryan, I guess we have to start because my co-host likes to point out how the Mets lost. And I'm yeah. a Mets guy. How, how wow, do you that's explain? amazing how bad the Mets were, huh? <laughs> how, how the Mets lost and only got one hit in that elimination game yesterday. Yeah, it, it's not what you want. But, um, you know, I mean, I think – I mean, San Diego has had three good starting pitchers, right? And the Mets got to one of them, and the other two got to the Mets. You know, I mean, Joe Musgrove is a guy who, you know, since he's been in San Diego, he's thrown a no-hitter. He earned a long extension. He is one of uh, one of the more underrated starting pitchers, not just in the National League, but in all of baseball. And I think he showed why the Padres gave him that large extension. Um, you know, and he, he had the Mets number. You know, I mean, it, obviously – Mets had higher hope, right? Obviously, they had control of that division, and for the division to get lost the way it did, especially with the way uh, Scherzer and Degrom got hit around in Atlanta in that series that determined who got um, the, the number two overall seed. That's not it's not great, you know. But October, look, I don't think it's a it's a condemnation on the entire Mets franchise to say that they lost three two games to. A, two very good pitchers and a very good team in San Diego, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah, Please keep going on. I'm enjoying the conversation. Chris is loving rubbing it in. I mean, you put, also, I guess when you pay Shures, or what is it, 42 or $43 million a year, I think you expected a little bit more on Friday. Overall, yeah. he had a good year, went healthy. Yeah. but That's got to hurt. Oh. Not in October, and it did hurt. Well, let's move on a little. Uh, were you surprised at all that in these wild card series, the best out of three, three of the four series were run by were won by road teams? Uh, a, a little bit, but I think, you know, especially in a, a shorter series, you know, when you have a team, I mean, the Phillies are the team that stands out to me. Because you look at that team, and you're looking at the idea of facing them in a three-game series, and they can throw healthy and rested Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola at you. That's really tough. But you look at a five-game series or a seven-game series, and all of a sudden you're getting into more of Phillies' weaknesses, right? The longer extended playoff series will do that when you're facing – uh, you know, I mean, Ranger Suarez is a fine pitcher, you know, but when you're facing Ranger Suarez instead of Aaron Nola, instead of Zach Wheeler, that's different. When you're getting more into the bullpen issues, I mean, they had both Wheeler and, and Nola go into the seventh inning, right? That's a big difference, especially for that team, than only seeing five innings of a starting pitcher, even just six innings of a starting pitcher. And I think that's something that the longer series, you know, such as playing Atlanta, or if they get past Atlanta playing the, the Dodgers or Padres, that's where some of Phillies' faults are shown um, more, a little bit more. And I think that's why it doesn't surprise me a ton that in the short series, when you really, if you have two good starting pitchers and, and two good relievers, which is kind of what the, the Phillies tend to have, you can get away with that. And I think that's kind of what happened there. So it doesn't surprise me a ton that those teams won. I still like the three-game series a million times better than the one-game do-or-die, right. even though I do, I do acknowledge that that is good drama The one game. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but at least the three-game series allows for one bad game and uh, a chance to breathe and make up for it, even though that, you know, the Cardinals didn't do that, and neither did um, the, the Blue Jays or the, the Rays. Or, or the Mets. Let's go back to the Mets. We're talking with well, uh, Ryan Fagan. They did rebound from the first one, though, so. 
<laughs> Ryan Fagan from the Sporting News with the Animals here on ESPN Honolulu. Thanks for having my back with that one victory that Chris <laughs> has for the Mets, Ryan. And as bad as Mets fans feel, I would think Toronto fans feel even worse. When you're at home and you're up 8-1, to one, I, I, did, I thought that game was over. I think a lot of fans following that game or watching thought it was over. How do you explain that Seattle comeback on Saturday? You know, I mean, that that's October, right? I mean, you know, it's when you look at the box score, or the line score, the play-by-play summary, and you see, you know, J.P. Crawford came up with the bases loaded and hit a double, you're thinking, oh, what was it, a line drive in the gap, down the line? How hard did he hit the ball? What a great play. Nope, it was a giant pop-up that just happened to land in no man's land, and, and everyone scored because the ball was in the air for so long, and then, you know, Springer and Bichette collided and all chaos broke loose, and, I mean, that's what happens. That's what happens in October. Stuff like that all the time determines who moves on and who doesn't. But, you know, I think having said that, this is a really good Seattle team, a really good Seattle team. They've got guys who can hit uh, speed, who can hit fastballs. You know, they've got a deep lineup. They've got a deep starting rotation. I mean, we didn't even see Logan Gilbert and George Kirby in that series. Well, we saw Kirby at the end of, of game two, but we didn't see him as a starter didn't see Logan Gilbert as a starter. Those two guys have been really good. You know, quite frankly, they've been better than Robbie Ray has, who got the game two start for Seattle um, because of his stature and his veteran presence and I think uh, a couple other reasons too. But, you know, this is a Seattle team that, uh, you know, I I know Houston handled them during the regular season, but this is a different squad. You know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the Mariners go in and do to Houston what they kind of did to Toronto. This might be a little bit of a sidebar question, but I know in the wild card round, we, as we know, every uh, there's going to be a three-game series and three consecutive days. You look at the AL division series, and they're playing Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Why are they getting so many days off while the wild card round didn't? Well, I think part of the idea in the wild card round is to give the advantage the way it's set up, give the advantage to the home team, right? To give the advantage to the team that had the better, the better. Um, regular season in terms of one loss record. It didn't matter, I guess, as we talked about a little bit, but, you know, they, they kind of wanted to um, not give any rest days. We see that in the, the league championship series, too. Um, the, they've cut out partially because of the expanded playoff field and partially because of the lockout kind of pushing everything back. But they've cut out the day of the travel day, the rest day, between games five and six. And I like that because you shouldn't be able to get through the postseason with three starting pitchers, right? I love the right. idea that you have to throw, you have to have four quality starters, five quality starters. You have to have a deeper rotation. I think that's rewarded more this year, especially with the way that, like I said, the LCS is set up. San Diego at the Dodgers. I think the Padres won four of five of the 19 games they played this year. Yeah. But we also understand the Dodgers, and I know you tweeted it out earlier, Greg uh, Kimbrell is no longer their closer. How much of an effect can that help? Does it help the Dodgers not having Kimbrell as a closer? I know he had a really tough September. Yeah, I mean, it might actually. It might be better for the Dodgers that they don't have to worry about feeling locked into Craig Kimbrell getting the last couple outs because he hasn't done a very good job of that. You know, and quite frankly, I mean, he was amazing in Atlanta. He was pretty good in Boston. But he hasn't been the same guy, right? He hasn't been the Hall of Fame lockdown. I'm going to strike out 75% of the guys I, I, I face. He hasn't been that guy for a while now he's more reputation is results and now that they've kind of done that i think that's probably part of the reason the dodgers did do that because now they don't have to go to him right now they've also lit a fire under him to say prove to us that we're wrong when you get the opportunity i think that's big but you know you look at the the dodgers rotation you know you mentioned the tweet and that kind of surprised me when i was looking for it 
You look at uh, you know three guys that not a whole lot of people look at as dominant relievers, and Evan Phillips, Yancy Almonte, and Chris Martin. Those three guys have thrown 123 innings this year for the Dodgers out of the bullpen with a 1.17 combined ERA. That's crazy. So I think, yeah, it's it's not like the Dodgers lost their established closer and have nobody left. It's that they lost their established closer, and they've got nine or ten guys who could come in there and get the final three out, and they feel pretty comfortable with that. Ryan Fagan's with the Sporting News. Last question for you. New York Yankees and Cleveland should be a pretty interesting matchup. Your take on that division series? I think it's Cleveland. I, I, wow. I love what the what the Guardians are doing. Um, I think when you look at the pitchers that they have, and we saw, you know, obviously they put up a lot of zeros and a lot of innings against the Rays, and the Rays are not the greatest offensive team in the world. There's no doubt about that. You know, they you look at the the the, the production that the Rays had down the stretch, and it was a lot of one, games where they scored one run, and that continued into the postseason. But, you know, I mean, Tristan McKenzie's one of my favorite pitchers to watch. Shane Beaver has been really, really good. I think part of it, too, is, I mean, how many pitches does, does Aaron Judge get to hit in the entire division series? Like five, ten, maybe, right. if it goes the full five games? Because there have been no reason. Or pit, there will be no reason for Cleveland pitchers to pitch to Aaron Judge. None. You look at what the rest of the lineup has done over the, really the second half of the season, and it's nothing. I mean, there was an entire series in Tampa where Aaron Judge scored every run that the Yankees scored that year. He touched the plate a couple of home runs and a couple of times he scored after doubling. So, you know, there's just, there's just there's, there's very little reason for me to think that the Yankees are advancing through this unless it's a series of two to one games three to two games that kind of that kind of thing uh, should be fun to watch i'm already looking forward to next october when we can talk about the mets coming back and hopefully going to the world series because <laughs> they, did, uh, they did kind of stink it up this time but it should be a great division and championship series leading to the world series later on this month ryan enjoy the rest of the playoffs great talking to you again thank you Always enjoy i thank all right and that fun to watch it'll be fun to watch <laughs> We're sports talk show hosts. That's how we end everything. So fun to watch. All right. Uh, this is your home for uh, Major League Baseball playoffs and the World Series exclusively on the radio here on Oahu. It's on ESPN Honolulu. Tomorrow on ESPN on the 1420 side, as they uh, say, or the 92.7 side. Uh, it's the ALDS games, your NLDS games on CBS 1500. Check the listings for game times at ESPNHonolulu.com. Let's get back to Rainbow Warrior football. By the way, call the coach with Timmy Chang returns. Uh, it's Wednesday already, 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday in the Moanalua Shopping Center. Of course, you can call in or text your questions and comments to John Venary and Coach Chang. It's brought to you by Ruby Tuesday Hawaii, IBEW Local 1186, Hawaiian Financial Federal Credit Union, Hawaii Pacific Health, PAXA, and HGEA.
Man, unbelievable. Seattle Mariners. Let's talk Mets baseball. You know, what are the Mets turn right now? <laughs> uh, I know you'd enjoy it. I didn't think you were going to enjoy it this much. I, I don't know why I'm enjoying it so much. You know, I enjoyed. I, sorry. Sorry. I enjoyed watching the UH football team. It was a loss. But it was fun to watch. It was a loss. But look at the improvement. I didn't tune in um, to the uh, fans' voice. I was at the volleyball game. Um, I saw some texts, and a lot of people were were encouraged by this. You can obviously – how about the offensive line? should mention that first and foremost. Man, they were blowing those guys backwards. Hey, Tavai brothers, how's it going over there, huh? Yeah. Glad you left. Man, they got – although that guy – Justice Tavai actually had a pretty good game. Jonah Tavai did too. But, you know, what he's I mean, those just gaping holes that they were opening up. It was like, who is this defense? Who is this offensive line? We haven't seen that this year. It's not who you play, it's how you play. I get that the San Diego State Aztecs are a, a shadow of what they've been in the past. I get that they're a pretty bad football team, but at the same time, Hawaii went out and executed. They were fighting tooth and nail till the very end. Timmy Chang was a, he was a warrior. You watch Timmy Chang on that sideline. I get fired up watching Coach Timmy. I want to run through a wall, and I don't even. I have, I'll run through some drywall. I'll, that's what I'll do. <laughs> Not through a brick wall, but I'll run through some drywall for <laughs> Coach Timmy. That. Happy birthday, Timmy! Yesterday he turns forty-one. Got an, uh, almost an early celebration. You know, when people are brought up, you know, well, San Diego State wasn't at full strength. You know, it's a down year for them. Well, what about Hawaii? That's one of my responses on Saturday, and I'll continue. If you're going to give San Diego State those excuses because of their injuries, well, Hawaii's been through a lot. Not not as much on the injury front, although they have. Pinocchio's out for the year, arguably number one. Zion Bowen's maybe number one. I think now he is out for almost a whole year. And all the turmoil with the, you know, the transfer portal. You know, Hawaii deserves the same excuses as other teams do for having down years i i want to get away for at least one day and we can go back to it i don't want to talk about the jive turkeys i don't want to talk about i don't when we talk about this game i don't want to talk about well this is what people say this is what a texter said let's get to talk about the actual game talk about zion bowens and the best game that we've ever seen him have what did i say during the weekend oh zion bowens is coming back and i'm like well what is he gonna have two or three catches a game because that's kind of how you know big ones but, um, you know, he had that long 56 or 66-yard touchdown. Yeah. But it was – and that was something that was uh, – that was that was, that was was great to relive that because that's what he's known for. But at the same time, he was an all-around receiver for the first time. This is his best game he's ever had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But- Man, nine catches for 108 yards. I just think having him on the field opens up the offense a little bit for that potential of the deep passes. And even though it was only that one, it was 
obviously significant. And yes, another passing touchdown. But even Koa Nishigaya had a pretty good game. He was uh, their second leading receiver in yards with and catches with 36. It wasn't a ton, but you can see what those two guys add. I, I think this offense is going to keep stepping it up, keep showing signs of improvement. Shaker's gotten better, the old line you mentioned, and now you got these two receivers. Uh. I don't, Sager's, Sager's gotten better. He's still got a long way to go. He does, but he got better. He improved 59% completion. The last game he threw for 261 yards. This is way better than how he looked against Vanderbilt and the other games that he didn't play much in. By far, his best games of the season. Sure. I would love to see, I mean, some of those incompletions, that, they were on him. You know, because you can tell, because Timmy Chang, is, he's got his, he's in his ear hole right when he comes off of the field. Yeah. And I like that. We haven't seen that in the past. It's like uh, Timmy Chang says, okay, you know what? Offensive coordinator and all the all the points you put up, you know what? Let me take over here because this is what we're going to be best suited for. This is, in the long run, what Hawaii football is all about. So I'm glad Hawaii's making the change. Um, and we get to kind of watch these guys develop right in front of our eyes. I, we'll continue this and top stories coming up next on ESPN Honolulu. 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Happy Discoverer's Day. You know, back in 1988, the Hawaii State Legislature recognized the second Monday in October will always be known here in Hawaii as Discoverer's Day. Um, it is Discoverer's Day in recognition of Polynesian discoverers of the Hawaiian Islands. How's that? That's awesome. Yeah. See, a lot of states now, don't they, they celebrate Discoverer's Day or uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, Native American Day in a lot of places. There's um, 19 states and more than 130 cities celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day in place of Columbus Day. You see, because when we were young, there were a lot of things that we were told in school, and we celebrated Christopher Columbus. He was a hero. Yeah. To you know, if you're like a seven-year-old, you're reading about Christopher Columbus, and he discovered America. And it's well, he didn't really discover America; it was already here. But anyway, that's a story <laughs> for another time. But so many things we learned back then are are really not true. We find out as we get older. For example, I remember watching a film in uh, school and uh, there was a little boy with his mom and it was about making healthy choices for food so the little boy is at the supermarket and he wants candy and the mom says no and we say no little timmy that's a bad choice and then when they go to the freezer uh section he pulls out some ice cream and the mom goes yes that's healthy for you (laughs) (laughs) oh it's a different life was so much happier back then when ice cream was healthy yes Oh, all right. Top stories today. Major League Baseball playoffs are underway. Uh, they've been exciting. It's been the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Uh, I kind of lost interest in the Major League Baseball playoffs <laughs> right now. Uh, it's got to be an exciting week. Uh, and I'm, it's interesting what Ryan Fagan told us earlier. He's picking Cleveland over the Yankees because of their lack of hitting, mainly besides the guy named Aaron Judge, who probably won't see a lot of good pitches to hit. So we'll keep our eyes on that. That and the other also, series all Also, some Yankees guy got some. 
some Yankees guy got kicked off the team or something. Araldus Cha- Chapman is inactive on the NLD on the ALDS series. They had a mandatory mandatory workout Friday in New York. He was in Florida, and that was it. He's a free agent coming yeah. up. He lost his closing spot. He might have done it on purpose, seeing the writing on the wall. That's a bad sign. Yeah, and it's it's basically he's like, hey, well, Ke- what would Kevin Durant do in this situation? He's like, okay, <laughs> and uh, then he's like, right. Kyrie, uh, come on. Rainbow- Rainbow Wahine, uh, they, they 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 win their seventh match in a row over the weekend against UC Irvine, and then just barely. Oh, I want to say just barely, but actually, you know, with uh, they beat UCSD San Diego, and that was an unbelievable. Ma- that was fun to watch because they lose. They win the first game twenty-seven to twenty-five. They win the second game thirty to twenty-eight. I mean, ease, and they had to come from behind late in those to win, and um, then they lose the third set. I think they could have very easily gone down and been swept by UCSD. But you know what? Even Robin Amo afterward was so proud, and it's almost, you know, when we comment and said we liked the fight, they never gave up. But she was uh, almost emotional, it looked like. Like, she was, man, I really, she really, she admired the team. She sat back and admired this team for the fight that they had. Way to go, Rainbow Wahine. This team struggled early on in the preseason. They had that reverse sweep against USC to end the non-conference schedule, and I think that kind of set the tone with what they've been doing in conference play. As you mentioned, they haven't missed a beat seven matches in a row. One, I heard Tiff on the broadcast Saturday. He said, I believe they won 19 of the last 21 conference matches at home. I think Santa Barbara might have been one of those losses. But right now, Hawaii doing a great job. The fact that they are getting better week by week. Still a lot of volleyball left in a 20-match season. But right now, they are the only undefeated team in conference. And hopefully, they will get that automatic bid once again to the NCAA tournament. You know, I gotta—I have to uh, actually, I, I need to go to more, to, uh, more sporting events. You see, because, you know, I, I, watching the, at the Stan Sheriff Center, and, you know, exciting. My wife and I were enjoying it. And then uh, when it's over, about, I don't know, five minutes left just before it was over, I realized I was in the wrong section. (laughs) (laughs) And you never got kicked out. I thought I was in I thought I was in BB. And then I apologized to the people behind. I said, oh, I'm sorry. This is AA. Oh, they said just stay there. (laughs) It's a little confusing down low if you don't read the signs correctly. But I thought it was BB. And my wife told me, and I didn't hear because I'm deaf. She's like, no, that's AA. And I just kept walking. I'm all, oh, seat 18, 19, here we are, honey. Always listen to the missiles. I was like, I was like Clark Griswold or something coming down the steps. <laughs> oh, here's our seats right here. <laughs> Luckily, uh, I guess the real owners of the seats didn't show up. But that was fun. So the Wahine uh, go on the road. Uh, Rainbow Wahine soccer, they split on the road which isn't horrible, but, uh, you know, they gave up a second-half charge yesterday uh, and lost to UCSD on the road. Yeah, Michelle Bud Nakamine, their head coach, said they didn't have good ball control in the second half, and they kind of let that game slip away. So, you know, it'll happen, unfortunately. You know, they've been playing so well in conference this year. Right now, 2-2-2 two, two, and two in conference. John Veneri is going to join us uh, coming up in, oh, I don't know, about uh, 10 minutes here, less than 10 minutes on ESPN Honolulu. Tonight, Monday Night Football. You can catch it at Dixie Grill in IAEA. And keep listening because we're going to give away a $25 gift certificate to Dixie Grill that you can enjoy for Monday Night Football or lunch or dinner or anytime you're down there at Dixie Grill in IAEA. Keep listening for that. 
on the University of Hawaii uh, football game against San Diego State, we were um, a lot of it said about these receivers. Oh, when these receivers come back, when Zion Bowens is back, when Kowali Nishigaya comes back, we're going to be uh, so much better. You know, can't wait for And there was somebody else. And these guys haven't seen a ton of action anyway, but Zion Bowens had the best, as we were saying, the best the best night of his career for the University of Hawaii. Nine catches, 108 yards, and a touchdown. And Zion does what Zion does. I mean, they were the announcers on television were talking about his uh, 4-3 speed. And you don't hear that a lot unless you're talking about somebody like Ashley Lalee or somebody. We never have a ton of, say, 4-3 guys um, playing at the University of Hawaii. And that's what we get with Zion Bowens. As you were saying, he opens up the field. Kowali Nishigaya got three receptions for 36 yards. You know, he had his biggest yak was seven yards. But I can see what, because I'm not super familiar with Kowali Nishigaya, as St. Louis football fans might be, but it does make a difference. And a guy that run the run and shoot, it's, you know, there's a, I mean, just those slants that he runs, he knows exactly where to go, and he's wide open. Right. I mean, they're playing, I can't, I don't know if they're playing zone or man-to-man or a mixture of both or whatever it was. But, I mean, those were, those were at times just that the, kept the ball moving down the field, right? If Hank Stram were around, he'd say, keep on matriculating the ball down the field, boys. And that's what Kowali Nishigaya brings. And I'm glad the announcers finally got his last name correct uh, on his last reception. But it was, um, there's a lot of potential for Kowali Nishigaya. That's what I'm seeing is this guy, he's, this guy, and it's too early to say could be a Devon Bess, but he plays the role of Devon Bess or Ryan Grice-Mullins, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and I, I, I know what you mean. It's not really fair to compare him yet, but what's interesting about this game with those receivers, Zion and Koa, we didn't see uh, D.R. Scott or James Phillips catch a pass in this game. I think Zion Bowen, even though it's just this one game, but we've seen what he can do in the past, he's the number one receiver right now. I I didn't have a lot of faith in Phillips before with the drop, but he showed what he can do. I would think the timing, chemistry, hopefully Shager's arm can maybe reach him downfield more than once a game, but he and Koa add a lot more to this offense with the run and shoot, and it was shown on Saturday, of course. Oh, is that what the cool people call him, Koa? Yeah, yeah, mostly I hear that. Okay, I'll call Koa. I like Koali. I think that's kind of cool. It's almost like a cute little koala bear. Um, now, the the announcers tried their best on some of the pronunciations. The uh, Tamatoa Mokiao Atimalala. So with him, he got the first reception of the game. You'll remember, and the announcer comes out and he 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 he, he, he said it slowly, but he nailed it. You know, I give him a nine point five on that. <laughs> And, and, and then they came out and say uh, Nishigeya. For, then it, I heard it, it that ruined a lot. everything for me. But, um, okay, so this got me to question. I don't have the media notes or anything or a pronunciation guide in front of me. Is it Jalen Walthall or is it Jalen Walthall? Is it Walthall or Walthall? You don't have to look it up now. We can okay. do it during the commercial break. You'll get okay. distracted. <laughs> I am. Um, but uh, Caleb I Phillips, I would like to see. I'd like to see Caleb Phillips get the ball. Uh, only five targets in that game, and 
Maybe it was because Zion Bowens was back. And you mentioned a couple of receivers a, a second ago. They didn't even get targets. Yeah. So when you're when you're uh, talking about James Phillips. Yes. And who's the other one? Your Scott Tanner. Let us know he was in Dior concussion Scott. protocol, so he wasn't. Active. Oh, your Scott was in concussion yeah. protocol. But James Phillips, what were you? I don't know. He, if, did he even play? He didn't get any targets. I don't even remember even seeing him. But he, I mean, there's a lot of players that got targeted in this game. Uh, Ten of them. And he was not among them. Uh, you know, I don't, right. I don't want to say the guy's bad. I just don't think he should be relied on as the number one or number two receiver on this team. Yeah, uh, you know what? He was, but he was, the, he was the guy when these guys were out. I'm not going to put that guy down. I think he's a big part of the team. Just in this, in this uh, particular case, I guess it just got too crowded out there with the receivers coming back. Um, but uh, Jordan Murray, I'm still really curious yeah. about what's going on with Jordan Murray. After all of these people visited practice and then came on the air and said, oh, watch out for Jordan Murray. He's great. And he could be. But I'm curious why he has not added yet five games, six games into the season. Uh, We haven't really seen him out. He doesn't get targeted. I don't know if that's more on Shager or whoever the quarterback was or on Jordan Murray. And, Uh. again, he hasn't shown anything that we saw in practice. And that is surprising. I thought he would be more of a focus of this offense. Again, you got a lot of receivers that are getting thrown to, but I thought he might be one of the top guys that he just hasn't for whatever reason right now. Yeah, but um, when you talk about quarterback play and you look at Braden Shager from three games ago to today, it's obvious that Timmy Chang is working with um, working with Braden Shager. I mean, you watch him on the field, and you know that when Shager comes off the field, and you've—I've I've never had this happen to me, luckily, but it's—and I think it's more with skill players. Uh, Braden Shager knows not to go to the bench, to go off to the side or whatever. Braden Shager's job is when you're not on the field, you run off the field and you stand next to Coach Chang, right? <laughs> it's like after every because he's teaching him as the game goes on, and. To watch Coach Timmy just get fired up on the sideline, you know, I mean, they showed him up close, and you can sell, you can tell that he was um, really fired up, and I think he said a bad word. Uh oh, he never said happened. a bad word. Yeah, and and it and it, it it's yeah, it was it was a, he said a bad word to some. He was more fired up where he was just talking, or he was talking to somebody in the booth, but yeah, he said a bad word, and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm fired up. He Coach Chang was fired up, but Braden Shager's job is to come out, you know, get your, um, you know, get, go over it right then and there with uh, Timmy Chang. So that's going to help him. I, I, I like how Coach Chang is obviously way more involved in the offense than he what, what he was. So it's kind of unfair because we thought, oh, we don't have, you know, look how bad our quarterbacks are, right? Look how bad they are. Maybe it wasn't the quarterbacks, and it was the system they were in. Because now, all of a sudden, how come he's completing passes? Why is Shager completing passes all of a sudden? Did he just learn football? No, it's a better system for him. I just wish he had a little bit stronger of an arm. Yeah, the pass. So, you know, I thought Timmy do that with Shager a couple of times, at least in the New Mexico State game when he came off the field. And that's uh-huh. a difference from what we saw last year where the offensive coordinator rarely talked to any players during the game. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not, you know, I know it sounds funny, but I remember how, the, how that was noted by quite a few people 
last year. So I, I like the fact that the coach is talking to the guy right then and there because it's so fresh in your mind. You can correct whatever you want, let him know what he saw, what he didn't see, and stuff like that. I, I like that part. I think it's smarter to me to do that. <laughs> it's 16 minutes after the hour here with the Animals on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Now, uh, coming up next, John Veneri is going to be joining us. Hey, don't forget tomorrow, it, no, Wednesday, it's the Rivals Fantasy Football Show presented by Rivals Sports Bar and Lounge in the Waikiki Malia by Outrigger. We've got a weekly fantasy expert to help you with your team, and you can win some NFL memorabilia too. Wednesdays, 8 o'clock a.m., right here on ESPN Honolulu. Discovers Day. It's the animals here on the Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. And uh, we're going to talk some more Rainbow Warrior football. John Veneri, let's bring him in on the show. How's it going, John? What's up, fellas? How's it going? Hey, you know what? That game, watching that game, and I hate to be a sports talk cliche, but win or lose, it was fun to watch. It was fun, especially the second half. Yeah, Yeah, it was... uh... You know, defense played. They played really, really good, and it was unfortunate that that last that last series had to have a defensive penalty because there weren't many. Right. Um, had to have a defensive penalty, and then you know, ultimately, it helped San Diego State drive down the field. Um, it didn't. You know, it the, didn't help that the, that the kickoff went out of bounds. And you know, after right. the game, Coach Sheffield he he apologized to the entire team. He said that that was his fault. Um, and while you know, Kyler Harrison is the guy who kicked it, I, I believe. You know, it's it's like I, I wish they just would have said, kick it through the end zone. I think when he has to, like, aim into a coffin corner, that's where he falls into the issue of possibly kicking it out of bounds. And so he's way more he's he's way more useful if you just nail that sucker into the student section. Right. I was, I was wondering what the philosophy was behind pooching it down the field. Because if the guy catches it, at the ten yard line or something, he still could easily end up at the thirty five. Yeah, you're right, absolutely. And so that that that's a decision that uh, was explained and apologized for by the special teams coach, Coach Sheffield. Right on. You know, when we, we we hear all the time, I mentioned this last hour. We hear all the time whenever we have a new coach or a new defensive coordinator or something like that, they're always going to. Coach Graham had said this as well before. They all come out and say. We're going to have an attacking style defense. Yeah, we never see it. Last night, or excuse me, Saturday night, Hawaii truly mm-hmm. played an attacking style defense, didn't it? They absolutely did. They loaded the box. They they were expecting the run, which is why we were susceptible to a couple of pass plays. But they um they they, they did load the block box. This was the defense that we saw of old. And I heard earlier, just to swap it over to the offense real quick. I heard you guys talking about. Um, Caleb, uh, Braden Shager's arm strength. And, and one of the reasons why he wasn't able to reach Zion Bones downfield, and Mark mentioned it during the game, was because he had thrown off his back foot. He, wasn't, ah. he didn't step into the throw. So he had dropped back and then thrown off his back foot. Had he just taken that step forward, that easily would have reached Zion Bones, who by far was the fastest guy on the field at that point. Oh, yeah. Well, there um, some of those as, passes, but when you throw the pass – 
across mm-hmm. the field. And what do you call that when you're throwing it across the field? It seems it's, it's it reminds me of Cole McDonald. It seems to take forever for the ball to get there. Well, I mean, he's throwing at a great distance. That 66-yard touchdown was really a 46-yard pass uh, in the air that, you know, that got there, and and, and Zebo was was wide open, and so he was able to get away from that one guy that was right behind him and then get into the end zone. That was was a fantastic pitch and catch. Um, And there were others. I know you mentioned Dior Scott. Yes, Tanner's right, concussion protocol. James Phillips was listed behind Tamatoa, and Kowali at the slot position. He just didn't get a chance to play. However, uh, Chucky Hines, Jalen, and Nicholas all played, uh, and even Jordan Murray got in at wide out. He was backing up Zion Bowen. So that, that's how that, that whole thing went for uh, as far as the depth chart. But, uh, you know, it's like these guys, I think Nicholas Senecal, Chucky Hines, Jalen, uh, Zion Bowens, all very, very skilled on the outside and, and, can, mm-hmm. and can play and run and shoot concepts. Uh, very well, and Zion proved that with his out routes. We were just we were just having fun watching those. It's unfortunate yeah. that for a long time we just couldn't finish the drives. We couldn't get into the green zone, especially in that first half. Yeah, John, when I look at this game, to me, as far as a complete game with every aspect, every unit, I thought it was the best game of the year, even though it was a loss compared to maybe the Duquesne win. How did you see it overall? Well, I'd say I'd give I'd give special teams uh, I'd give special teams a C minus uh, okay. just just because of the kicks the two kicks out of bounds um, those hurt they're just such they're such killers um, and so I'd say that in all I'd say defense and offense of course I'm not grading each play and each player play by play but just by watching the game and looking at it um, failure to get into the green zone or to get within field goal range probably knocks the grade down on offense a little bit because your goal there obviously is to get something on the board on every series and Hawaii failed to do that. So, uh, but defensively you got to give those guys uh, somewhere, you know, in the a range, they did allow some yards, but man, did they play really good? It was just a good fought battle in a really nice stadium. <laughs> hey, the, um, before we get to the stadium, what would grade would you give, run blocking for university of hawaii that's got to be in the a range oh the offensive line and we had said it uh, a few times but the offensive line did a fantastic job except for a couple of penalties by uh steven bernal went uh, i thought that the offensive line did a fantastic job of both giving uh, giving time to the quarterback there were a couple of uh pass plays where brain shager had a ton of time in fact it it looked I even had said it a couple times. He's looking left, but throws right, which means he went through his progression. And if you've uh-huh. got, if you can go through your progressions with four receivers, that means you've had time in the pocket. And so, yeah, I give the offensive line a thumbs up, especially because Eliki Tanavasa didn't play. Sergio Musa moved into the uh-huh. into the uh, center position. So I thought that group did a fantastic job. Aside from a couple of penalties, um, I thought they did a great job, both running and and uh, or run blocking and pass blocking. You know, one of those penalties, though, I thought we got robbed on Bernal Wind. I didn't think that was a penalty, or at least something they called. Uh, and we agreed. We agreed in the booth. Mm-hmm. We, we we agree with you on that on that one. That we did not see it. We we watched a couple of the replays, and we didn't see it. John Perry with the animals here on ESPN Honolulu. Go ahead, Gary. John, people keep asking, do we know if Timmy Chang is calling all the plays or not yet? Um, yes and no. Uh, he's definitely involved. He's definitely involved, and um, and he he is helping script. But it is it is Ian Shoemaker in the booth. So 
uh, from the booth, he is definitely ha- he has input. Who's calling the plays? Uh, we'll let that one. I'll let that one go with Timmy. You get, in fact, that is a great question, Gary. That someone of our view, uh, listeners can call in on Wednesday and ask Coach for himself. Maybe all right. Answer. Call the call the coach. Somebody texted in here. Is Tanuvasa injured? Is that the the problem? Tanuvasa. Yeah, he he did have, uh, and this has been a nagging thing that's been going on for a couple weeks. I believe in the last game he was still not 100%, but it's been a nagging thing. And so if he couldn't play after a bye week, that you know it's it's there's something going on there. Uh, yeah. So that yes, yes, he's not he's not well enough to play. You know, you guys brought up the penalties by Went. Those are the only two penalties for the game for Hawaii. The only turnover was on that kickoff at the end of the game, that fumble. But Hawaii hasn't mm-hmm. turned the ball over in three road games except for that fumble. The penalties are kept more to a minimum now. I think those areas are critical. Third down conversion, maybe not where you want, only uh, three of ten, I guess, on Saturday. But there are certain areas where this team has shown signs of improvement. Well, and there you go. So they're not there. So that that tells me a couple of things. It tells me that this team is definitely not selfish. They're definitely they're definitely doing, uh, for the most part, what they're supposed to. I think uh, I think the execution of plays or position at positions was definitely a problem at New Mexico State. In this particular case, there, I mean, I think there's a difference between a mistake and you know, and and execution. A mistake and execution. They're, to me, there's two different things. Execution is not doing is not actually completing your task on every play. A mistake would be something like holding on a penalty or going the wrong direction or running the wrong route. We saw that uh, we saw that early in the game where there was miscommunication on a pass route and 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 uh, the, the the route was cut short. The ball right. goes long or out of bounds. Right. So those to me are those to me are mistakes, miscommunication, whatnot. Um, and so I thought this team has definitely done a better job, you know, with turnovers and penalties. It's just unfortunate that the ex- the execution of plays is what's holding them back. Because if you win, you know, a lot of coaches will tell you, if you win the turnover battle, if you limit your mistakes, you give yourself a better chance of winning a ball game. But because there are still execution problems and mistakes happening on each play, from whatever reason, guys not doing their one eleventh, um, then 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 that's where Hawaii has fall, fallen short, and that's what led to losses ultimately. Um, of course, I know the coaches will take a lot of blame for 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 some of the things that they're doing on the sideline or plays that they're calling as well. But for the most part, I, I thought this game was pretty well rounded, like Gary said, except for a couple of the ex- execution mistakes, uh, execution problems, and mistakes. I'm going to give you a chance to be armchair quarterback, Monday morning quarterback, because I got this question after Saturday's game of the fans' voice, that on Dedrick okay. Parsons' 22-yard touchdown run, maybe he should have mm-hmm. taken a knee on the one to use up more clock. And I know it's easy to That's say it. afterwards the fact that, you know, uh, San Diego State gets the ball and scores with seven seconds left. My response was a couple of times this year Hawaii has been within the five-yard line and kept moving backwards. So I don't think you would take that chance. How do you see that? Absolutely not. That is not an option at all during a live, violent play on on any football team. Nobody's gonna nobody's gonna do that. Not when they have the chance to run. Their 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 ultimate goal is to get into the end zone. If they were told to down it at the one, then then 
I mean, that's so hard. I can't even begin to tell you. That's not even something that would be requested from a coach to a player <laughs> if you've got on a 22-yard run. Now, if you're on the two-yard line right. and, and you get you get wide open and, and you know you need to run run out the clock, then you'll take a knee. But you can't do it from 22 yards out, especially because who knows what the next play is going to mean. I mean, you can, it's hard, and like you said, it's, hard, it's been hard enough in the red zone for this football team uh, in the past in the past five games already. So to be able to go into the end zone is a treat, not, you know, not a punishment. You don't want to stop a guy from doing <laughs> right, the job. Right, right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's you know, the next, you make up a good point. The next play, they fumble. And what are fans saying? Oh, why did you just go or in the penalty, end zone? the sack, anything. It exactly. Right. All right, John, it was yeah, nice of nice visiting with you. And we'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. Appreciate it, guys. See you, All see right, you Wednesday. See you Wednesday. Yeah, we'll see you Wednesday. John Veneri with Call the Coach uh, and Timmy Chang. Ruby Tuesday, Hawaii, 6 p.m. Uh, for Call the Coach. It's back this week. It's been uh, uh, Coach's uh, schedule only allows on the week of home games. So uh, it's been a while. So it'll be nice to see everybody down at Ruby Tuesday. Also, since we're bringing it up, I want to thank uh, everybody who came down to Big City Diner in YPO. Uh, all you folks with uh, Josh Pacheco and Coach Martinez, they had countdown to kickoff. Uh, lots of folks enjoyed the big city diner grinds, and uh, thank you uh, the uh, to Modelo on special. They got the seven dollar twenty five ounce Mega Modelo drafts, and uh, thank you to all the guys uh, for giving us prizes to give away from Diotani Produce and Coca Cola and Paradise Beverages. Next home game is going to be, uh, excuse me, away game will be at a big city diner to be named later. But uh, we'll see you guys at Call the Coats on Wednesday. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. Kachi Kachi Music Makawao Where the children love to sing And the music joy it brings Everybody does their thing Play the music up in Makawao Where the ladies love to dance And the men they take a chance With the sweetness of romance Everybody get together They clap their hands and sing this song now Hope you got the day off on this, uh, dis, uh, excuse me, this, uh, yeah, Discoverer's Day we celebrate here in Hawaii. Happy birthday to Dale Earnhardt. Uh, Earnhardt. Earnhardt. <laughs> Speak much? Uh, happy birthday to Dale Earnhardt, uh, 48 years old. Dale Earnhardt Jr., uh, 48 years old. Of course, retired NASCAR driver and, and uh, TV racing analyst. And uh, happy birthday to the man who stole millions from the... Uh, Mississippi Welfare Fund. Brett Favre is 53 today. It's kind of what he's going to be known for, actually, which is kind of sad. Yep. But uh, Brett Favre is 53, and happy birthday if you're celebrating today from all of us here at ESPN Honolulu. And uh, Timmy Chank celebrating his 41st birthday yesterday, too, so we wish him a happy birthday. And uh, I know he didn't get the present he wanted then. Hopefully he'll get a present this Saturday against Nevada. And uh, Hawaii underdogs in this game. I heard it opened up around minus, uh, plus six for Hawaii. Now it's like four and a half. How is Nevada? What, team... Wait, wait, what? For You're the Nevada the game, upcoming yeah. game. Yeah, for the okay. Nevada game. 
Hawaii is now getting four and a half points at home. Nevada lost to Colorado State on Friday at home yeah. on a last-second field goal, and they're the favorite. I know some people don't care about those numbers, and I just like the way Hawaii's improving, and if they continue the way they played last Saturday, I think they'll, they should get a win against Nevada, but, again, nothing guaranteed, of course. And then you have Colorado State on the road after that. I just like the fact that this team, again, to me and I think many others, played their most complete game of the season, even though it resulted in a loss and mm-hmm. maybe only 14 points. The fa- I think it's encouraging, and the fact that they showed more on the offensive side with the passing game. We talked about the receivers coming back, the offensive line. Shager with a higher percentage than he's thrown for in the beginning of the season at 59%. Uh, I am more encouraged than I've been all year. And the fact that this game hurt, that's a good kind of hurt. The other games that Hawaii lost – they, they hurt in a different way. One was embarrassing. The New Mexico State game was embarrassing. The fact that you were in a game that was a tough battle and came oh so close, I, I think, showed a lot of this team. So hopefully fans will be encouraged as well. I want to go back to the last touchdown, Chris, by uh, Dietrich Parson, because it wasn't my question. I understand why you wouldn't take a knee then, but we've seen it in the NFL a couple of times this it year. It wasn't where, your question? No, so, I mean, it wasn't my question that I thought that maybe Dietrich Parson should take a knee on the 22-yard run. A couple of people texted it in, and that's why I wanted to get John Veneri's take on that. Right. Again, sometimes the jive turkeys don't let them control the narrative. I mean, it makes sense not to think about it. You're running, and all of a sudden you're going to stop and fall on the one-yard line. What team does that? Well, I I agree. I agree. Again, first of all, I agree. It it came up in the Cleveland Browns game against the Jets early this year when Kareem Hunt was, I think it was him, made him a chub, was criticized by some for not taking a knee on the one. He scored with like two minutes left, I think it was. I mean, what? I, I mean, I understand it in a way, but for Hawaii, no, I think it's even not w- football. Just play football, and especially the way Hawaii's defense is playing, you score and then go back and defend. And you know what I liked about Hawaii? I liked it, it, it towards the end of the game. They were moving the ball, but it's not because Hawaii was so much in any kind of prevent defense. Yeah, they were still. They still had five guys rushing. I mean, they, they were they were going after the quarterback. I really commend Jacob Yoro for calling those plays. That was awesome. And even though San Diego State did move the ball downfield, they weren't like, I think there was one pass that might have been over 15 yards. The others were like five, six yarders. But you know what? That's the run and shoot offense. No, about Hawaii. That's the run and shoot. Talk about San Diego oh, you're State. talking about the other guys. Yeah, on yeah, San Diego yeah. State on their Sorry. last drive. So it wasn't like they were just I lost dominating. My, on I that. lost my mind for a moment. Now I'm back. But, I mean, I give the defense credit on that series of, well, they weren't in a prevent, as you said, and they weren't giving up big plays. Well, and you I don't get, know. I don't know what the, the, your definition of a prevent. They were playing a little soft, it seemed, in the um, um, last drive. In the, yeah, they were. But what I'm getting at is they were playing a man-to-man defense and they were attacking the quarterback. So that's what I liked about it. Right, but I, I can those those passes were a lot of them were like five, six yards or even less on a few of them and. Those are, those are a little bit harder to def- – I, mean, I don't say they're harder to defend, but I give Kawhi credit for not giving up the big play and not going in a prevent just to keep them in front of you, especially when you only need a field goal. For right, Diego well, that's State. what they did, but that's what they did, and they were able to get a little yak, and we'd tackle them, but a, a five-yard turns into a 10-yard gain. That's what we were getting on that last drive. A few, but not, not I don't think there were that many. It took them a while, and you could, you could kind of sense that they had a lot of time left, and they had a couple of timeouts left as well. But I, I, again, just really more encouraged about that game overall. I do want to find out, well, somebody will ask Timmy, maybe I'll ask Timmy at Call the Coach, but I want to know about calling the plays 
uh, exactly who's doing that. Could you see Timmy every time they show him on the sideline, as you said earlier, he's talking into his headset. But you can't tell if he's signaling the quarterback or if he's yelling at somebody upstairs or just whatever it was. But I, I, it's interesting that we don't really have a de- uh, set answer on that. And as John said a few minutes ago, he's, he's more involved, which is what we've heard, and maybe involved with Ian Shoemaker. But I like the fact that they're doing what they're doing with this offense. I also want to point out, because people keep bringing up, ah, the running shoot is back. That solves most of our problem. The running shoot can do, be very successful, but it doesn't guarantee just because you're running the running shoot that you're going to score 35 points a game. You still need to have the chemistry, the timing, the personnel. Well, but I think it's, it's what people want to see, sure. We're not – this is not – okay, don't – June Jones is not walking through that door. The, Coach Rolovich ran the run and shoot. It was not what June Jones and Mouse Davis did. It's evolving. So what we're doing right now is we're learning the run and shoot. That's what we're doing. We're learning on the fly the run and shoot. So that's why you you know what? You get the run and shoot down, I guarantee, guarantee, with the right talent, you're going to score more points. Right now, you don't have the talent. You've got to build that. And you're learning this offense on the fly. So as it's getting better, it should get better next game, and it should get better the next game after that. That's really where that, that, that's really the run and shoot. Again, you're reacting to people who are angry and texting at the end of the game. Um, don't care what the, they have to say as much as what the experts or the uh, insiders are saying about the uh, University of Hawaii, because no matter what, if Hawaii won that game, People still would have called in the fans' voice to complain about the kick going out of bounds. They would have complained in the first half when they we let up that when we uh, they scored that first field goal. Was that a, was that also a kick that was out of bounds? It was, wasn't it? It was a squib kick that went out of bounds. Uh, they got it on the 35. They drove down, kicked the field goal right before halftime. Now, if we didn't do that. Uh, we wouldn't have lost 16 to 14. We'd have won 14 to 13. Some might say, but when people are angry and emotional, I don't want to hear it two days later on the radio. Not that I don't want to hear it. That sounds so harsh. But at the same time, it's like, you know, don't let the jive turkeys control your narrative. Well, it's not so much that I know what you mean by that. I'm just saying as far as the run and shoot right now, that when people are really excited about it, that was before the game, during and after, that it's back. I think people are under we the are impression. We are excited about it. But that's okay to be excited, but I think they're under the impression that it guarantees automatic success. Let's talk about the game, though, not what people think. That's what I'm trying to get at. Okay, Talk one about more. the game. What are, what are some of your observations of the game? You know what I observed? Hawaii didn't have the ball much at all in the third quarter. It was really weird. I don't know what it was, but we had like three drives. And Hawaii scored. I mean, we matched them. We Both both teams scored seven points in the third quarter. But Hawaii didn't have uh, possession of the ball all that long. Now, was, was the uh, 66-yard pass, was that in the third quarter? Yes. Okay, that's why. So our drive was a little bit faster. But... Um, Time of possession in the third quarter. I'm looking at San Diego State had it for nine minutes. Yeah. Hawaii had it for five minutes. Fourth quarter, San Diego State has the ball for ten minutes. Hawaii has it for just under five minutes. It's like when you're watching the game in the second half, it was more fun to watch because, I mean, you know, on both sides of the ball we're clicking and there's some offense going on. 
And then you think about it afterwards, you go, didn't seem like Hawaii had the ball much in the second half, and that kind of proves it right there. Yeah, the time of possession was definitely in San Diego State's favor, which even more impressive that Hawaii would be able to be that close with this team. And we talked about the and, defense and their great job stopping the run. I thought that was I – was, I was a little surprised at that at first, but it definitely encouraged. Hey, we got Call the Coach coming up Wednesday. It's back at Ruby Tuesday, Moanalua Shopping Center at 6 p.m. Come on down and join us in person or listen in uh, on the radio or your smart speaker or – you can watch it on uh, social or different social media platforms, too. It's brought to you by Ruby Tuesday Hawaii, IBEW, Local 1186, Hawaiian Financial Federal Credit Union, Hawaii Pacific Health, PAXA, and HGEA. Hope you're having a great Discoverer's Day. If you're not off today, maybe you can sneak out and leave early. Who knows? I, we don't encourage that kind of thing, I guess, here. the um, It's Chris Hart and Gary Dickman here uh, on the Bobby Curran Show, and we were just fantasizing uh, with each other off the air about uh, if Chevin Cordero was the Hawaii quarterback. <laughs> Man, there were a lot of upsets in the uh, Mountain West Conference this past weekend. But one that looked like it was uh, the team that looks like they are the real deal. I think they're number one. I think today, uh, Josh Pacheco, doesn't he come out with his uh, Mountain West power rankings this afternoon? I'm not sure if, if he it's does. Monday. It's Monday. If okay. he does, he'll have uh, San Jose State. Uh, should have San Jose State as number one. UNLV, now granted, they haven't really beaten anybody, but UNLV was 4-1 and one heading into this matchup against San Jose State. Chevin Cordero... Uh, this is the reason for the fantasizing. Seven Cordero was the leading passer and rusher in that game. Probably, I'm sure he's the, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure he's the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week again, two weeks in a row. He had a 109 yards rushing with two touchdowns, 18 of 27, 230 yards, and two touchdowns. The guy's responsible for four touchdowns in a blowout uh, win over a 4-1 and football team. That's strong. He is looking really good. I, again, I think he's going to be Offensive Player of the Year in the Mountain West. That was an impressive win to not only beat UNLV, but beat them the way they did. Uh, they're looking good, and they play us the last game of the season. And I uh, hope he doesn't have as much success then, but he's looking really good, and that was pretty impressive, again, to dominate like that. I'm guessing Colorado State beating Nevada on the road 17-14 to was an upset? I forget. I think... Nevada might have been favored by a couple of points. What was interesting about that game, the Colorado State attempted a field goal in the last play of the fourth quarter, and it missed, but it was roughing the kicker. They moved the ball up, I think, five yards. They get another kick, and it is good, and they come out with that victory against two teams having really bad years, and they're Hawaii's next two opponents. Okay, um, and as our offense gets better, and we continue with an attacking-style defense, we got to get at least one of those. Uh, okay, on Saturday, let's see, it was uh, Air Force falling to Utah State. Now, that's an upset, 34-27. Yeah. 
I thought Air Force would win that game convincingly the way they've been playing, the way Utah State's been playing. They've been struggling. Their quarterback is out for the year, and they come back with a couple of touchdowns in that fourth quarter. I mean, Air Force scored the last points of that game just to make it a little closer with a field goal, but Utah State was the better team, which is a little scary because they'll be coming in here in a few weeks. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, the quarterback uh, for uh, Utah State uh, was 18 of 23, 215 yards, and two touchdowns. Not bad. Wyoming, uh, as expected, this one wasn't an upset, I guess, but uh, Wyoming goes on the road, and they beat New Mexico 27-14. to Wyoming now 2-1 and one in the Mountain West Conference. And that was a game where New Mexico led at halftime. They got outscored 20 to nothing in the second half. New Mexico looks not on our schedule, but they look to be a little bit better than we've seen in years past. And obviously the best school in New Mexico, including New Mexico State, are the Lobos right now. The uh, I did see that New Mexico State got did they did they play? Can't remember who New Mexico State played. I think I think they got beat out pretty bad uh, over the weekend. I know Vanderbilt got beat up. Uh, talking about common opponents for Hawaii. Here's an interesting score. Boise State is now four and uh, two. They're three and zero in conference play. They beat Fresno, who was favored to win the Mountain West Conference, forty to twenty. Fresno State still only has one uh win but when you look at the quarterback play on both teams logan fife for fresno state 14 of 25 for a hundred 14 complete passes for 134 yards and two interceptions although Taylor green the quarterback for boise state 10 of 18 127 yards two touchdowns and an interception i mean qbr for both these guys is in the 32 range. There's a lot of bad quarterback play in the Mountain West Conference. You lose Jake Hayner, it makes such a difference for Fresno State. They're not even close to being the same team. All right, we'll be back with our top stories coming up next on ESPN Honolulu. you to enjoy a little music <laughs> happy discoverers day we're celebrating dale earnhardt's birthday today brett Favre's birthday today but we're not celebrating no he's, not now he's a he's a bad bad boy uh it's uh, chris hart and gary dickman on the bobby curran show on espn honolulu and uh top stories today breaking news just a little while ago uh thank you josh pacheco for texting us in Chevin Cordero, um, San Jose State football quarterback, has been named the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week two weeks in a row. Four touchdowns, over 100 yards on the ground, over 200 in the air. Is Bo Graham taking credit for this? I'm not sure about that. I mean, his passing we knew about. We knew he was a good runner, but this is, I think, the second week in a row that he's rushed for a couple of touchdowns. He's doing a great job running and passing the ball. And they're a really good, dangerous team right now. All right, the uh, Major League Baseball playoffs continue. You'll hear them on the radio. Uh, ESPN Honolulu is where you'll catch the ALDS games tomorrow. CBS 1500 is where the NLDS will be playing today. They've got a day off. 
And as usual, I am cheering for the mighty, mighty Mariners, my team from day one. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hurt that my Mets lost. <laughs> I'm crying. Oh, my god. It goodness. did hurt. It should hurt. Oh, it hurt? It hurt. When the Steelers lose a Super Bowl, do you feel a little sad, a little down, a little depressed? Maybe for 20 minutes, and I move on 20 with life. 20 minutes? Yeah. And it doesn't happen that often, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> you bozo. The Rainbow, uh, you Wahine, the Rainbow Wahine cruise to a ah, – I don't want to say cruise. The Rainbow Wahine win both games this weekend, a tough time against UCSD, but it was fun to watch. You know, one thing I heard Tip Wells uh, talking during the match, that UCS, UC, UC, San Diego, excuse huh? me, they played a lot of five-set matches this year where Hawaii hasn't done that lately because of their dominance in Big West play. Hopefully that doesn't make a difference, but I like the way this team is taking care of business, a lot of sweeps, and if not a sweep, they've handled business in four ever since that USC reverse sweep. Boy, I don't know, what uh, what is UCSD's record? Uh, San Diego, University of San Diego, does it say on these little sheets? They were, I'll have it, they were two and three coming into oh, the weekend. okay, so they're eight and ten. One and five in conference oh, play. Wow. That, boy, they got this uh, number four. Next time we play them, so I guess we'll be on the road, right? Yes. But uh, if you get a chance to see San, uh, UC San Diego, Ava McGinnis, I mean, we had no answer for her offensively. 22 kills. Man, the Hawaii was, uh, and uh, we hope that um, uh, Ikenaga for Hawaii gets better. About a minute before tip-off, or tip-off, before the first serve, she injures her ankle. And so they got to call in, um, they had to call in Talia Edmonds uh, to play the Liberace position. And, boy, she was awesome. She had 27, let's see, how many? 28 digs, 28 dig-em-ups. She was flying all over the court. Amber Igidi had 15 kills, but they don't. You know what they don't have in volleyball is like how much time you're on the floor. You know, like in basketball, how many minutes? It yeah. seemed that Amber Igidi was off the court a lot during that game, but she still ends up with 15 kills. Riley Wagner was awesome, uh, 25 kills. Uh, she had many, many slam downs. Kaylin Alexander, her usual, you know, around 16. Uh, it was a great performance. It was a gritty performance for Hawaii as they uh, came from behind. It's like every game, it seems. Yeah, I think it was every every uh, every uh, every set, set. were come from behind victories or the one that they lost. But anyway, exciting, exciting uh, weekend at the Stan Sheriff Center. You mentioned uh, the Carolina. That was a career high for her, by the way, with the kills for Riley Wagner. Yeah, I believe she got 35 total all weekend uh, when you count both games. So way to go. Uh, The Carolina Panthers have fired their head coach. Matt Rule is gone. It's not maybe a surprise that it happened at all. might be a little surprising that it happened kind of early in the season. But I guess why wait when they've been struggling as much as they can? There's been rumors that he would not survive after the season and we can tell that by the way they've been playing all year so he is the fall guy and their defensive coordinator is gone as well steve wilkes formerly with arizona i think in kyler murray's rookie year uh he is now the interim head coach he was the secondaries coach i believe for carolina taking over but they're kind of a lost cause right now and baker mayfield high ankle sprain out for several weeks all right uh the university of hawaii football uh, team comes up short uh, there could be a lot of excuses, but boy, there was it was 
it was fun to watch a team that looked like a Hawaii football team of the past. Talking about the run-and-shoot type of offense um, and the attacking-style defense. I mean, these guys, I thought I was watching, uh, you know, it was 1976, and I was watching Jack Lambert. No, that's Panay Pavie. I would say that if they play that way against New Mexico State two weeks earlier, they win that game. That's how well they play. That's how much they've improved in at least Saturday's game. So, oh, yeah. again, encouraging to see how far they've come, and hopefully that will continue. What we said in the, on Friday heading into it is got to watch out. San Diego State's strength is our weakness, and that's stopping the run. Yeah. Well, we held them to 95 yards total rushing, and uh, they, had to, they had to improvise. They, they, they had to go away from their game plan. It ended up working, but, um, you know, I was so proud to watch these guys. I thought Peter Manuma was Leonard Peters. You know, and if he, because he's a freshman, right? He's just a baby. He's a freshman. And here's a guy who's, he plays so angry. Good. He's so ang- he's so angry. You know what? Don't feed him before the game so he's hangry on top of that. Um, but watching him play. You know, kind of like uh, there was one guy that was trying to stiff arm him on a long pass, and he came from behind to help. It wasn't his man. And he just jumped on that guy's back and brought him to the ground, his hair wildly in the air. It was, it was, I thought I was watching Leonard Peters. It was, it was so awesome. I mean, he is, and he's just a freshman. Freshmen aren't supposed to play like that. He's like a team leader out there. I believe he led the team in tackles, which isn't a good thing necessarily. Uh, to have your nickelback leading, I think he's a nickelback. Is he playing nickelback anyway? He leading the both had ten tackles, I believe. Yeah, um, it, it was great. I mean, it was great to watch that guy. So, you know, um, some of these young players they continue to be actually leaders on the defense, and we're six games in. I think Pavi he had another solid game. I just mentioned the tackles. Remember the last home game he had that pick six against Duquesne, he's starting to play like more so when we saw him when he filled in for Jelani Tavai his first year. And uh, looks good to see him back the way we remember him. That's encouraging. He's had a really good game. And I think a Mekhi really Pei. good season. Mekhi Pei. Yeah. Mekhi Pei had that another... interception. Oh, it came so oh. close. I know. He was slamming his hands down on the turf. And I was like, you're going to break your arm, dude. <laughs> he was so upset. But uh, Mekhi Pei finishes up with eight tackles. And he was in – he was – he was all over the ball. The um, Isaac Tufunga, I believe, did he have a sack? Yeah, he, one and a half uh, tackles for loss. Who had our sack? Oh, Tui, tu, uh, Tui Tupo had uh, one sack for seven yards. Tariq Jones had a sack for ten yards. I don't remember that. Tariq Jones, number 43. I must have nodded off or something, but I don't remember Tariq Jones' sack. But Hawaii has a couple of sacks Six tackles for losses. That's what you get when you play an attacking-style defense, baby. I like that. You know, I want to bring up one other player that I really took away from this game, and I've mentioned his name a lot. I know I mentioned Jordan Murray before the season. Hasn't lived up to it. Tylen Hines, I thought, was impressive in the summer. And every game I watch him, he seems like he always breaks a long run. He had the long run against Michigan, 54-yarder. He had a couple long runs against New Mexico State. And he had a pretty good game against uh, San Diego State this week. I, I like the fact that you have Parson, who's been really good since week one when he had those two fumbles. It reminds me a little bit, just a little little of last year when we had Day-Day Hunter and Diedrich Parson, a great one-two punch, and I can see the same thing with Parson and Hines as well. Hines only a freshman as well. 
Uh, I think this guy's going to be a really, really good running back, which he already is to me by the yeah. time he's a junior. Just imagine how much better he's going to be. Well, Parson goes for uh, 14 carries, 76 yards. Hines, 8 for 68. Um, I had thought that, oh, I guess, um, what's his name? Lely? 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 Lely. He didn't get in the game. I didn't see him at all. Not Jay. Oh. I don't know what happened to him, but I haven't seen him. Yeah, I mean, I think that part of the you, when you talk about Hines and Parson and the great, uh, you know, the 150, oh, 140 something yards at the 144 yards they put up, you got to credit the offensive line. Oh, there yeah. were ga- there were gaping holes. Now, Didrick Parson, uh, as he runs for a touchdown, um, yeah, he had that touchdown run. I mean, he had to break. On the next level, he had to break about four or five tackles, it seems. Spun but, out of that one. But, I mean, you, they show the replays on those, some of those holes that our guards are opening up, and it's like, man, whatever you're doing on the offensive line, and that was with that was with Muasau, who's a guard, playing center. So whatever they were doing, they were making San Diego, I mean, you had both Tavais on the line and just making them look silly. I thought Vanderpool had a couple of really effective blocks, too. A couple yep. of them they showed on replay where he was yep. really moving guys out of the way. So yeah. great to see that from the O-line. What a difference it makes for not only the passing but the running game, as we saw Saturday. Uh-huh. Uh, coming up, Lisa Horn is going to join us in a few minutes, uh, talk about some college football. And it looks like the, uh, I guess, is Georgia number one? Georgia's yes. number one again. Yes. So, and that's because, I guess, um, Alabama escaped Texas A&M. That's what you would call it, right? Yeah, barely. They, uh, A&M had the ball the last drive of the game and had a last-second pass, which wasn't even going to the end zone. They could have won that game, losing by four. And Alabama drops to number three. Ohio State's number two now. Right. Ohio State beat who they play? Michigan State? Yeah. they. they I mean, they, to me, they're the best team in the country because they're the most consistent team. Georgia almost lost to Missouri. Alabama almost lost to A&M. They're still great teams, but Ohio uh-huh. State hasn't missed a beat. They are that good, at least they're that dominant, too, in every game. Yeah, it's the um, uh, looking for some upsets, some key. Is Syracuse still undefeated? Are they yeah, like they are. They were wow. off last week. They beat Wagner the week before in a game, which if I understand it correctly, they didn't even play four full quarters. They shortened the last quarter, I think, ten minutes. Uh, Wagner, they mercy I, ruled it because Wagner was getting hurt feelings? What's I, I going think on? They, I think they determined that before the game. I'm not sure how that worked, but I saw people criticizing. Why schedule a team? Wagner is not even an FCS school. I, I think they're Division two or three, and it's a close by school. Well, kind of close, but that was a weird game. They beat them, I think it was something like 59 nothing, or whatever it was. But Syracuse is legit. We saw what they've done to some uh, ACC schools, and, yeah, ranked in the top 25 right now, doing a really good job. All right, uh, Georgia beat Auburn forty-two to ten, which means Brian Harson is gone. He's gone. It's just a matter of when. Yeah. Uh, maybe he'll last the season. Maybe they don't see a point in doing what other teams have done. But there's no way he's coaching next August. There, not spring ball. He's not going to be recruiting for next year. Let's put it that way. Yeah, Michigan go continues to roll. Clemson big time win. USC has no problem with Washington State. Uh, Oklahoma State did what expected at home against Texas Tech. LSU lost, but Tennessee looks strong. They've got Alabama coming up. Uh, former Hawaii opponent Vanderbilt falls to Ole Miss, 52-28. to um, UCLA continues to be, I was going to say, UCLA continues to be undefeated. 
I guess it makes sense. Yeah. But they beat Utah at home. 18, uh, UCLA is ranked 18th, Utah number 11. That's a big win. Well, Utah and UCLA is now number 11 after that win. Wow. So they really moved up. At the up. time, though, what I'm saying yeah, is at yeah. the time, yeah. And, I mean, to beat Utah the way they did so convincingly, uh, Darius Moussa with an interception in that game, I believe. He had a really good game. Uh, as well as a lot of Hawaii players, but UCLA looks legit. I think one of the maybe more surprising games overall was how Texas shut out Oklahoma 49 nothing. Yeah. Oklahoma's defense the last three games has let up like probably close to 140 or 50 points. And I know they didn't have Dylan Gabriel, Oklahoma didn't. Hopefully he'll be back next week. But, boy, has Oklahoma dropped out of those rankings before Saturday's loss. Uh, they're not even getting votes anymore. They've dropped yeah. so much. They're not there. People in Oklahoma must be absolute. They're missing Lincoln Riley is what yeah, they're doing. Now they but, are. But, uh, you know, they must be like, hey, this is not Oklahoma football. These are the guys that are going to the SEC. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but Texas, you know on what? the other hand, now back in the rankings at 20, uh, 22. But, yeah, Oklahoma really disappointing. Hopefully Dylan will be back this week. We haven't heard anything yet. All right, so BYU out. There, It's almost like the voters are waiting to get rid of BYU. They lose to Notre Dame. So that would be considered with the season that Notre Dame is having, a bad loss for BYU. Washington loses two in a row. And then uh, LSU is out as well. But look at the Pac-12. The Pac-12 has four teams in the uh in the national rankings number seven is usc number 11 as you mentioned ucla number 12 is oregon and number 20 uh falling to number 20 is utah but pac-12 looking pretty powerful this year and people are wondering or thinking that maybe a team like usc depending on who wins the pac-12 championship could maybe get into that 14 playoff looks like it's going to be a battle for those teams now i mean alabama clemson georgia ohio state seem to be the four but what if a pac-12 team goes undefeated in winning the championship that might throw a little bit of a debate into who's that four hey, team should be yeah i'll get some i'll give some usc love maybe uh maybe dave kawada USC alum is listening. I've always loved USC as my second favorite team. 18 minutes after the hour here on this Discoverer's Day with the sports animals. Don't forget, coming up on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock, it's the Rivals Fantasy Football Show brought to you by Rivals Sports Bar and Lounge in the Waikiki Malia by Outrigger. Uh, We've got a weekly guest who can help you with your fantasy team, and it looks like I lost my fantasy football game. I lost 92.46 to 92.42. Wow. <laughs> That's horrible. You should wow. just call that a tie. Come on. Anyway, uh, our weekly fantasy expert can help you with advice in your team. And we've got NFL memorabilia, courtesy of Rivals, to give away every Wednesday, 8 o'clock, right here on ESPN Honolulu. Discoverer's Day with the animals here. And by the way, it's also National Hug a Kevin Day. So if you know someone named Kevin, give him a hug. Like Kevin Durant. I have a roommate named Kevin, but I'll pass on. All right. Give uh, your your roommate. How old are you? That's All right. Coming up here on ESPN Honolulu, let's talk some more college football. She's a TV and radio personality. See her work at pigskingrind.com. She's also a Heisman voter. Ladies and gentlemen, Lisa Horn. Aloha. Hi, guys. 
Hi, Lisa. Great to have you on the show again. Great to hear your voice again. Let's talk some college football. We saw the polls come out yesterday, and I, I, I was a little surprised that Alabama dropped to number three. I know they had a close win over Texas A&M. Who do you see as the most dominant team in college football right now? Mm, probably Michigan. <laughs> wow. I, I like Michigan a lot. Um, I, I don't understand why people, teams, I should say, are not rewarded for rising up to a challenge. Alabama does not have Bryce Young, okay? I still thought that they played a good game. It, it was at Texas A&M, and champions find a way to win when the circumstances aren't necessarily in their favor. So I'm a little disappointed that Alabama dropped two spots. I think that that's more of a, a loss. If you lose close to a team, a really good team, then, yeah, you drop a couple spots. But to drop that much after a victory, to me, doesn't make sense. Sure, I can see it that way as well. What about Ohio State? It looks like they've been a team where Georgia had the close win over Missouri, Alabama this past weekend, but Ohio State really just clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, C.J. Stroud is also, he's, he's making his case for the Heisman as usual. I just, for me... Ohio State, on, on, when you look at their schedule in the beginning, they had Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and Michigan State. I thought that those were going to be really good teams this year that would challenge Ohio State a lot, and it just doesn't look that way. I don't really see any team challenging Ohio State until November 26th. Oh, no, let's put Penn State in there on October 29th, but I, I like the way Ohio State looks. I, they're definitely a top-four team, and I think Tennessee – is a little low as well. I'm, I'm all in on the Vols right now. Undefeated right now. It's hard not to be. We're yeah. talking college football with Lisa Horn from pigskingrind.com. Here are the animals on the Bobby Current Show, ESPN Honolulu, via the Aloha Kia hotline. You're very close, and you follow the Pac-12 team so closely. What about USC, who's undefeated right now? But even if you look far ahead, if there's an undefeated Pac-12 team that wins the championship, will they be in the 14 playoff? I do because I think the Pac-12 looks a lot better this year. Teams like Oregon State, which normally we're lucky to get three or four wins a year, are playing very well, very tough. I mean, the the Beavers played USC great in uh, Corvallis. That was a tough, tough loss for the Beavers. It was a good win for USC. UCLA is still outperforming. I still am not completely sold on UCLA. I've seen this before where they come out, lights out, you know, in September, October, and it's lights off in November. So we'll have to wait and see. But right now, I think the USC-UCLA game could be an absolute barn burner. And while the Northern teams have not impressed, I know Oregon is highly ranked. And, um, you know, they still lost to Alabama, and they lost huge. So that, to me, they should not be in the the playoffs unless there's some other one-loss teams. But overall, I think the Pac-12 is playing better than it has in years. And I think it deserves more respect. Yeah, they definitely had teams having better seasons, at least for now. We'll keep our eyes on UCLA. We always yeah. enjoy your unbiased opinions about the University of Hawaii. A tough loss over the weekend at San Diego State. Been a tough year overall. What are your thoughts and takeaways from what you've seen? I, I was expecting one win, and not because it's Timmy Chang. I mean, Timmy Chang is an island hero. In fact, there's a lot of us here on the mainland love love Timmy Chang as well. What he did, June Jones and Timmy Chang. What they did for the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors is incredible. And I think we need to forget, you need to give them, not like some schools where they only give a coach one year, 
he needs time to get everything into place. I mean, I, I can't remember how many um, returning starters he has. He has like two on the defense right, right. and four on the offense. So, I mean, you know, we've got we've to give him a little time here. The Vanderbilt loss was tough. But I do think he played, they played San Diego State very well. It was a two-point loss. And I think if he can keep the losses down to where it's not complete blowout, then I think he'll be fine. But they need to give him at least three years, not be uh, impatient. And, and I can't wait to see the, the new uh, stadium where they play. I think that's going to bring in more fans and going to get everyone fired up. Yeah, but hopefully it should be increased to 17,000 for next year, right around uh, 9,800 or so for this year, a little under, or 9,300, I believe, actually, for this year. But uh, we have another home game coming yeah. up, so hopefully get some fans there, and hopefully they'll get a win, of course. I want to talk about the Mountain I West. I wish I could go. <laughs> you're, you're invited. We'll get you a ticket. How about that? <laughs> I'd love it. <laughs> okay. We'll work definitely work on that. But the Mountain West overall this season, I mean, it seems like it's a strange season. We know that Jake Kaner's out for Fresno State. That alone explains their struggles this season. But other teams like Boise State, San Diego State, both firing their offensive coordinators. Air Force losing to a Utah State team that was really good last year, but struggling this year. What about the Mountain West in general? What have you seen? San Jose State looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, a little bit of a, a shocker, but, you know, I, should we really be shocked? Uh, I think Brett Brennan has been a very good coach, and he's, he's bringing San Jose State up to a level where it's no longer just Fresno State in that valley, the Central Valley. San Jose State gave a very close game to Auburn. I think they lost by a, a touchdown. Right. And it was at Auburn, and that's impressive. I'm sorry, but that is very impressive. Um, I think the, the game this week at, at Fresno State is going to be the one which tells me where this conference is going. But I, I like the way San Jose State looks. I want to ask your opinion as a Heisman voter. Before the injury to Dylan Gabriel, who has played high school football here, of course, with Oklahoma and the success they were having again before this three-game losing streak, would he get any consideration in the Heisman voting? Um, not Well, I, I never say never. But for me, there's some really strong candidates out there that I, 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 Bryce Young, if he comes back next week, I think he's, he's back in it. I think if you, if you lose more than one game in a year, it kind of takes you out of it. Right. Unless you do something so fantastic that it kind of mitigates that one or two games that you've missed. But for me, I'm looking at like C.J. Stroud. I still love Deuce Van out of, uh, Vaughn out of Kansas State. Caleb Williams is making a strong case at USC. And, you know, if DTR at UCLA continues to do what he does and doesn't make bad decisions, Ford, he's also in there. And then you've got some others, of course. But I think Stetson Bennett out of Georgia, for me, mm. dropped a little bit. I do think it's going to be the year of the quarterback. But you know what? If, if, if a running back comes in there and starts really making a lot of noise, and right now, for me, that guy is Deuce Vaughn and B. John Robinson out of Texas. Does Will Anderson become a finalist, do you think? Uh, you know, I am one of those people that really love to have someone other than Charles Woodson be the first <laughs> defensive or one of the defensive guys to win. It's been so long. I, I don't know. He's, he's really good. I like him a lot. I mean, he's definitely a top five player. The problem you have with the defensive players, they don't get enough touches on the ball. And that's always been one of the problems where, you know, 
he, if he gets a touch on the ball or has an impact on the play once every three or four plays, that's tough to compete against, like, let's say, a running back that gets 35 carries a game. And that's the problem for defensive players. Right. Good point. We are talking college football with Lisa Horner. You can follow on Twitter, at Lisa Horner. She joins us here in the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. With the Pac-12, and we know about UCLA and USC going to the Big Ten, I keep reading things every other week where people in California are trying to stop this from happening still, and also this conversations about other schools maybe leaving the Pac-12. Where are they now? What have you heard lately? I haven't heard, well, I, I know Gavin Newsom, who's on, who's, I think he's the president of the regions, is, of course, wants to stop UCLA from leaving, which he can't. And I, I think most of the reason why is because Cal and UCLA are tied at the hip. And as UCLA goes, Cal has a serious issue with maintaining uh, the, the, the presence and the revenues in the Pac-12. For me, I look at UCLA where the school that they hate to love, USC, is going to the Big Ten. UCLA has got a $78 million deficit in their athletic program. Wow. Moving to the Big Ten, moving to the Big Ten would solve all of those problems. I do think for UCLA football to really get better, they, they need to maybe consider doing an, off, an on-campus stadium. I love the Rose Bowl. I think it's too hard on students to travel 45 minutes to the game. It's easier to walk, so they're going to have to think about maybe getting rid of some buildings and using the Spalding Field as of zero ground, ground zero, where they can build a smaller stadium, maybe 50,000. I think that would be a legitimate proposal. But, no, I don't see USC or UCLA not leaving. And I do see a couple more teams leaving. I don't think it's Oregon. I don't think they have that Big Ten vibe. I wouldn't be surprised if a school like Washington or Stanford did make the move because they have that Big Ten vibe to them as far as athletics and academics. Hey, Lisa, one last question because something you just said really struck a chord, so to speak, and I'm real curious. How does a school like UCLA, with all the TV revenue, I know it's more in the Big Ten than the Pac-12, but how do you get a $78 million deficit when you're still getting some pretty good income just with TV alone? Well, but but the Pac-12 doesn't pay nearly (laughs) what everybody else does, number one. Number two, you're talking about revenue from your revenue-producing sports. That Rose Bowl looks pretty empty every Saturday. Mm. The first three weeks, it's, it's, there's a problem because school has not started. They're on the quarter system. So the school, school hasn't started. A lot of the kids are not back to school. And so when you get like 20,000 people at a stadium that holds, what, 78,000, 80,000 minimum, that's a huge revenue loss. So I, I look at there, and, and plus there's a little bit of apathy from the fans right now. I, I'm hoping that Chip Kelly – if he has a great season and wins the Pac-12, I think that would be great for next year, but it's probably going to be a year year too late because the following year they're in the Big Ten. Right. And I've seen those pictures of the Rose Bowl, so, yeah, they look pretty empty there, but that explains it at least. Yeah. Lisa, always good it's to have so you bad. on the show. Great hearing your voice again. Hopefully we'll talk again throughout the season. I'd love it. Thank you so much. All right, Lisa Horn joining us on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. And uh, interesting what she said about UCLA and that deficit. That's a lot of money to be down. Well, I'll try playing in front of 9,000 people. It would be <laughs> yeah. even worse, right? All right, uh, hey, uh, speaking of football, uh, it's Monday Night Football. Tonight you can catch the game on CBS 1500, or you can catch it down at Dixie Grill in IAEA because that's your new Monday Night Football headquarters. Um, you can come by and catch the game. 
Get 32-ounce Bud Lights for just 6 bucks. They got free popcorn and great southern-type poo-poo. Uh, and then after the game, actually, from 7 to 9 tonight, you can win prizes because it's trivia night hosted by Geeks Who Drink. So if you would like a $25 gift certificate for Dixie Grill, be caller number 2 at 808-296-1420. Call in and win right now from ESPN Honolulu. Last night I dreamt I was returning. And we say congratulations to Justin out in Neva Beach. He's got a $25 gift certificate for Dixie Grill in IAEA. You can catch Monday Night Football there tonight. Speaking of Monday Night Football, it's not tonight's game, although it should be a great one with the Raiders and the Chiefs. I would love to see the scenario play itself out at the end of the season because I love controversy. And if the San Francisco 49ers continue to win with Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback, 3-2 and two right now, and they make it, let's just say, to the NFC Championship game. And right now, to me, in the NFC, I know it's still still pretty early, maybe one-third of the season basically done. But I think they and Philadelphia are the two best teams in the conference. I know Minnesota's got a better record than the Niners. Still, I think they're showing a lot. And Jimmy G with a pretty impressive game yesterday. Uh, he had a couple of touchdown passes, 253 yards, good completion percentage. What did the Niners do after basically throwing him out in the offseason? Trey Lance is their guy. And it wasn't that they did it for any other reason because, except for the injury to Trey Lance with a broken ankle. But what do they do if Jimmy G, who's only under that one-year deal, and he leads them, again, just to the NFC Championship game, even if they lose, like last year, you're still going to get rid of this guy and start Trey Lance? I, I think it's a really tough problem for them, and they did it to themselves with giving Trey Lance a starting job without earning it to me. I know they saw him in practice, and they thought he was the guy. They thought Jimmy G wasn't. And since he's gotten to San Francisco, basically all he has done is win. Maybe not in the Super Bowl. And they lost the NFC Championship game to the Rams, who they've beaten seven times in a row. Every game Jimmy G has started against them in the regular season, as a Niner, they have won beating the Rams. What do they do? How do you possibly not sign this guy and how do you possibly keep Trey Lance there? And I wonder if Jimmy G just decides to say, well, thanks, but no thanks, whatever you offer, unless you're going to wait, uh, overpay me by a lot, I'm going elsewhere with the way you was treated. And, you know, maybe they could franchise him. I'm not sure if they would still be able to do that. But what are they doing to trade Lance? Uh, I mean, some people were joking yesterday that maybe, you know, another team like Miami or team with injured quarterbacks, you could go after Trey Lance next year because he might be available. But the Niners, again, the way they handled this whole thing in the offseason was wrong, I feel. Uh, and just trying to get rid of Jimmy G when there were no takers. I wonder if other teams regret that. But with the Niners right now, he's still winning. And he's done a really good job. Uh, the first game of the year they lost, but that was that mud game against the Bears. Coming up next week, the Niners are at Atlanta. I, I would think, well, I know they'll be favored in that game. And I think they would win it. I wouldn't be surprised if they're staying on the East Coast because they played Carolina yesterday and Atlanta not too far away. But they've been a little surprised in a con- in a division. They've been thought- surprised? The Niners? Yeah, the fact that they're 3-2 and two with Jimmy G? They've been surprised at 3-2 with Jimmy G? They've been a surprise. They've been a surprise. Oh, a surprise. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, you've got to pay attention. Uh, no, but I'm just division- trying to help you with the English language there. I thought I said, <laughs> uh. But anyway, 
I thought everybody in that division except for Seattle would have a chance to make the playoffs. And I know the Rams in Arizona still do. The Rams look really, really bad. Now, Dallas looked really, really good with Cooper Rush. But right now, the Niners in first place. Everybody was 2-2 two and two going into yesterday. I don't see Arizona, the Rams, being a team that's necessarily good enough to win that division unless things really turn around. Now, for Arizona, they'll get DeAndre Hopkins back in two weeks. Yeah. You know, in, instead of pontificating on what the rest of the season is going to look like, how about that call uh, um, on the uh, – who was the uh, player, the defensive player? Basically, Marcus Mariota got robbed again. The Atlanta Falcons fall to the uh, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and it was aided in that penalty call fr- by, uh, oh, gosh, what was the player's name? J- Grady Jarrett. Yes. He unnecessarily threw Tom Brady to the ground, as and they called it roughing the passer. See, because it looked like the hit that Tua Tonga-Vailoa got, right? Not exactly but, to me. Exactly, me too. But he's he's... Okay, you have the quarterback around your waist, and he used his momentum to swing him to the ground. Folks, it's called a tackle. That was what we saw, a textbook sack. Yet the referee flipped out and threw a flag and getting roughing the passer, and they end up moving the ball down the, uh, uh, down the field and winning the game. But that was just a – it wasn't – if that's going to be a penalty – then you know what? Football is done as we know it. Football is done as we know it if that is a penalty now because that's taking it over the top. How are you to tackle the quarterback if you can't swing him to the ground when you've got, you're standing behind him, you have your arms around his waist? Are you supposed to just hold him there? Are you supposed to just... I don't know what you're supposed to do, but to bring him to the ground, and that's exactly what he did. And they threw a flag. I'm surprised there's not much more out this on this. It seems like everybody's been talking about it last night, and you're right. I mean, the Tua one, if people oh, okay. got to compare it to Tua, Tua got slammed to the ground. The guy was standing up and threw him to the ground. This guy was, Jarrett was kind of falling down, and and uh, Brady's head never hit the ground either. It, it wasn't near, it was, in a way it was the same in that it was a sack, and he kind of spun him, but, but it should not if, have been a penalty. If, but if Brady's head hit the ground, that's just a part of football. True. You swing the guy to the ground. Now, with Tua, the guy didn't wasn't standing up and threw him to the ground. It was almost the same thing. He came on top of him. He, threw, he, he whipped him down to the ground. And, you know, and people have said, oh, he didn't have to. And I, maybe it was, I don't know if it was you or somebody else. You didn't have to throw him down that hard. What? You didn't have to throw him down that hard? That's tackle football. I can see where you're saying, you're saying, okay, don't spear with your helmet. Don't chalk block more than one yard over past the line of scrimmage. That's stuff for safety. But when you start going, okay, you tackled him, but you were a little rough when you tackled him. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. You might as well just play flag football now. Yeah, and that would have been a fourth down, which means that Tampa would have punted. That's why that kind of hurt Atlanta's chances, who came back with it. It, it was really awful. I don't think anybody agrees with it. And the referee tried to defend himself after the game, just saying it was unnecessary. He said he was not influenced or told to call plays differently because of Tua's hit. 
That's uh, and maybe that That's part is said. true, but it was, he, I guess he just got to stick with his call so he doesn't admit that he was so wrong. I'd like to hear what the NFL says. Like in the NBA, they have the two-minute report the next day criticizing, not criticizing, but correcting referees' calls. I'd like to see the NFL say that was going too far because if, if they're agreeing that that was the right call, then something is really wrong with football as opposed to just a referee screwing up because he did. Either way, mm. he definitely screwed up on that. <laughs> And it really could have hurt. I mean, Atlanta had momentum, and who's to say if they get the ball back the way they were playing that maybe they could get one drive to get a touchdown. So yeah. it's the worst possible time, of course, for that to happen. It was that bad. And Brady, I think Brady even knew because he said, I don't I don't call the penalty. He wasn't defending saying it was the right call. He just said it was not like he called it. So he, got, I think he kind of knew, even though he got up complaining to the ref right when it happened. Yeah. Hey, folks, it's Call the Coach with Timmy Chang. It's big. Back after a couple of weeks. This Wednesday, I got thrown off because it's at Ruby Tuesday. It's at Ruby Tuesday on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Call the Coach in the at Ruby Tuesday in the Moana Lewis Shopping Center. Uh, you can text in or uh, call in with your questions and comments, or maybe you come on down and ask a coach in person. Um, it's uh, brought to you by... Ruby Tuesday, Hawaii, IBEW Local 1186, Hawaiian Financial Federal Credit Union, Hawaii Pacific Health, PAXA, and HGEA. Hey, coming up uh, today at 12 noon, it's uh, Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy. And uh, let's talk a little pizza, too. Domino's is here. They're fighting inflation with you. This week's special is with uh, Domino's. When you buy two or more items, they're still only $7.99 when you order online or the Domino's app. Time for our content dump. One minute. I liked what Kenny Pickett, your quarterback of the future, did yesterday. Even though it was a loss and they got dominated, there was one play where he got tackled unnecessarily, maybe worse than Tom Brady's alleged pass to, uh, roughing the passer. And he got up in the defensive player's face, Shaq Lawson, I believe, and wanted to fight him. I yeah. like that. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers players gained respect for Kenny Pickett for not yeah. backing down. I like that. But I wish Tom Brady would take that uh, way of thinking as well, but he ain't going to do that. Now, he wasn't tackled unnecessarily. He was tackled low. He was tackled low. He thought the guy was going for his knees, so he said, hey, I'm going to do my best Mason Rudolph impersonation. (laughs) Where did that get him as far as respect with the other players? On that note, Kanoa Leahy at 12 noon, uh, Josh Pacheco at at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Remember, we've got uh, Monday Night Football on CBS 1500. It's a day off for Major League Baseball playoffs, but... Check our website for game times. We'll have them all on our family of radio stations. I believe we're out of time, so we'll see you tomorrow on ESPN Honolulu.